My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Hello, hello, and welcome to the post-credit pod. We've been off for a couple of weeks because there's been uh, some transitions going on. And, and while I usually open this show saying I'm, I'm excited because we've got a great show for you today, and while that's still the truth today, sadly, everybody, this will be my last show as co-host of post-credit pod. Eric, I'm, I'm going to miss this, my man. I believe it was the great Bob Dylan who said, get the fuck out. <laughs> you know what? A wise and succinct man. I think I'll pack up my shit and go. No, it was Bob buddy. Dylan who said the times, they are changing. Brandon and I have been doing this for, what is it, November? We started August 2020. Uh, no real expectations for the show. Just kind of like, well, we were friends before at our old gig. Yeah. And like everyone else during quarantine, we were like, let's start a podcast. <laughs> Real original thinkers over here. But luckily, we had some of the tools to actually put on what we like to think is a good show. Um, I'll, I'm sure I'll save more of this for the end. But B, this has been a joy. Um, you, it's been It's been great to work with you, to learn from you. Um, I think I've been doing more of the learning. You know, <laughs> guys, for anyone who doesn't know and probably should he does all the Twitter. He does all the producing. He does all the editing. Like I just show up when it's game time. That's it. Yes, but that's what but that's what the clutch performers do. You get paid. We're, we're not it. talking about practice. We're talking about a game. Um, I'll take it. Thank you. Buddy. So this is our final show. Well, let me correct that. This is our final show yeah. as co-host. I'm going to be continuing post cred pod in what form I don't know. I don't know if I have enough charisma to carry an entire <laughs> podcast on my own. You I'll, do, my friend. I'll definitely be doing interviews. I'll definitely be bringing back our friends from Diz Insider and discussing film and all that. But and then perhaps one day you'll come back Absolutely. as as a co-host. But as currently structured, this is the end of the road. So we thought we'd go out with one last show discussing our favorite movies of all time. Boom. So, you know, it, it is sad. Uh, I have a new position that I'm entering after Thanksgiving, and that's why I have kind of have to be exclusive to this new company. I'm excited for what's coming up, but I'm going to miss this, man. It's been not only great fun, but an amazing learning experience. And I think, uh, you know, nice notch on both our resumes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I certainly think so. Do you want to plug where you're going? Yeah, so I, I've been at Observer four and a half years, senior entertainment reporter there. I will be going to Morning Brew as an entertainment creator host. So we're going to have podcasts, video content, social content, a little bit of writing down the line. So, uh, you know, a, a little bit of what I'm doing with a lot of new twists coming up. And I hope you guys will follow me over to there, sign up for their newsletter, and, uh, you know, just stay tuned on Twitter for all cool things coming up. Well, now, finally, you may hit 10K followers. <laughs> we'll see, man. Fingers crossed. Uh, and if you ever need someone to come on your, your podcast and make dumb stoner jokes, you know exactly where to find me. My first call, man. This is, this is also the first time that we've recorded together in person. Yes, because uh, we started in COVID and everything. Right. And I used to live about an hour and a half away from you. So no. And truth be told, a huge part of it was the fun like the functionality of using Zoom to tape our shows, which in fact we're still doing right now, <laughs> despite the fact that we're sitting across the table, because I tried to figure out the two mic setting. This has been it may come off as a polished product, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of me just winging it. So I, you know what? I still, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish half of what you did. So a tip of the cap. Well, cheers, brother. <laughs> cheers, my man. This is, this is a real clink. It's not a sound effect. All right. So as always, though, we will start off with a little bit of news. We'll hop into Spider-Man No Way Home because the trailer dropped recently. And then, uh, yeah, we'll do our little uh, favorite movie draft. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it a, if, if, is it a draft? If, if I take something, does that take it off the board for you? I thought we were just... Yeah, let's just spitball about our favorite movies. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, I think that's a better way to I do like it. I like that. I like that. 
All right, so to start off, uh, last week, Disney Plus Day was a little underwhelming overall. I thought we'd get a little bit more trailers, a little bit more news. Uh, First of all, the way that they rolled it out was shocking. And a giant Twitter thread. And what was funny is that everybody who was added on one of the tweets was subsequently. So Patrick Dempsey, <laughs> because he was in like the Disenchanted trailer, must have had millions yep. of pings on his account. And then Will Smith was tagged in one and it was the wrong Will Smith. So <laughs> that must have been fun Wait, for that guy. who's the other Will Smith? I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, it's a common name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that they guy must have some had- random guy. That's... He must have had either a great day or a shitty day, depending on his yeah. personality. You know, <laughs> Disney, if you need someone to come run your Twitter. <laughs> come on, man. Postgrad pod Twitter's popping. So Disney, get at him. But okay, so for all the clownishness of Disney Plus Day, we did get some announcements that we already knew and a few that we didn't know, including a ton of upcoming series. So for Marvel, we got Hawkeye, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Echo, Ironheart, Armor Wars, Agatha, House of Harkness, Secret Invasions, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, a revival of X-Men 1997, What If Season 2, <laughs> Spider-Man Freshman Year, I Am Groot, and Marvel Zombies. So a couple of them there that are new, and uh, the X-Men 97 revival, pretty dope news. Yeah, that, I mean, especially for 90s kids like us, that's the business right there, adding the fact that we didn't see it coming. I will say... Oh, Echo, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. First of all, I thought I was going crazy. Then second of all, that's hilarious. I will say this, and I've brought this up on the show a few times about like the nature of the IPification and franchiseification. I actually brought it up when we were talking about Book of Boba Fett last week. And I worried that if they're stretching themselves too thin in terms of like, I would have rather seen a Boba Fett storyline in Mando season right. three than them give him his own show. And when I see a show pop up like Agatha House of Harkness, look, Catherine Hahn is fantastic. I've been watching The Shrink Next Door. She's amazing. This woman deserves all the success she's getting. She's going to be in Knives Out too, I think. Her MCU character is fantastic. Would love to see more of her. But something about that title and a few of these titles. Uh, Do they need Marvel animated zombies? Is, well, but <laughs> animated is a bit different because yeah. it's not sort of the same output, right? And it's a different medium entirely so i can't really hold it to the same standard but when i look at something like house of harkness i do wonder if now they're just creating content to fill a disney plus quota right and that was sort of my main takeaway here is that all of this stuff relative to the last 10 years of the mcu and granted when the mcu first started people thought they were b c yeah. c-list characters now it really feels that way <laughs> now it feels like they're mining in places and characters that Otherwise, would it warrant their own show if they didn't have a streaming service that they were trying to build up? So that's kind of what worries me there. I can get behind that. I think, listen, I agree with everything you said about Katherine Hahn, and I don't know what's going on at Marvel Studios, so maybe I'm wrong here, but it does feel reactive. Whoa, Katherine Hahn, Agatha, broke out character. Maybe we should create our own show. Like maybe they had it in the works all along. I don't know. But WandaVision hasn't even existed in the world for a year yet. Yeah, and, and it doesn't feel like to me, maybe again, Kevin Feige, maybe uh, you disagree. doesn't feel like to me like this was the plan all along. It feels like very reactive to the audience response. And so they just hopped on the cool trend. And I, I, I know animation is different, but Marvel Zombies is like, how do we just mash two cool pop culture things together? Yeah. Again, to, to your point, to fill out the coffers, the library of Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Eh, a little bit and iffy. I, I don't want to, 
you know, when when you strike gold, keep digging, right? So I don't right. want to I don't want to discredit the attempt to tell more and different stories. I'm just more so worried, as I said last week about Boba Fett, of them taking elements like WandaVision season two would be more exciting for me <laughs> than yeah. House of Harkness. Right. So that's kind of in the middle ground that I'm out now. Stuff like Moon Knight is an entirely different story. Right. I am entirely hyped for that. I think that the teaser, there's some worry about the accent he seems to be putting on. I, you know what? I'm not worried. I, I think we've like House of Gucci is coming out. And yeah, like, no, yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, silly accents. And, and yet now when it's comic book <laughs> material, which is, less serious than something like oh a real life murder story people are losing their minds I, I guess i just don't get this weird uh changing scale that we have yeah well it, it helps that none of these shows have jared leto in it at least as far as i know <laughs> i like that we stay consistent you um, know we started on a jared leto joke and back in august 2020 we're ending on a jared leto dude, joke uh last week i tweeted he was at like the premiere of his uh, House of Gucci and he was standing in front of his poster doing the same pose. And I tweeted just like, he must be stopped. <laughs> like, we, we have to stop this man at all costs. I think you just need to interview Jared Leto in your career. I know, I know. I can only imagine. I but, feel um, like he'll like it. And like knowing the backstory. That, or that sadistic fuck will yeah. see it as some sort of like chance to do... <laughs> performance art show show up with a bag on his head like shia um what were your general thoughts about disney plus day uh, well then in addition to marvel we also got some lucasfilm and pixar uh announcements so we got willow obi-wan kenobi under the helmet the legacy of boba fett uh we got pixar spiderwick chronicles baymax pinocchio uh some of them i'm really excited for like i thought the baymax trailer was great i think big hero six is underrated uh lucasfilm you know obi-wan kenobi is my most anticipated yeah. project no trailer though I know that. I mean, I just was absolutely blown away that they didn't release yeah. even a morsel of real footage. I think it was a really big missed opportunity. I think sometimes the Disney marketing machine, which is hailed as so brand purified, can get it in its own way. Like that's an, that's an example where you throw a bone to the fans. Yeah, especially considering it's supposed to come out this spring. I mean, when, a, you know what, I'm willing to, not willing to bet, but would they attach something to the Boba Fett premiere in that regard? Because so. you think that they got to get, get the ball rolling on that. Now they did show what, like a sizzle reel of behind the scenes footage or yeah. something, but that didn't really quench the thirst that no, we had. I, this... Like I'm a guy who hates sizzle reels. I hate <laughs> like posters. I hate like official images. Like the only thing I care about is footage. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Agreed. People freaking out the no way home poster. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Well, first of all, those posters are an entirely different story. <laughs> you want to talk about bootleg productions. <laughs> it looks like I made that poster. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the graphic design is my passion meme. for <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. But just do you sort of share some of my concerns about the swath of content? Some of the new announcements are head scratching. I think more so when we look back at what was it last year or like six months ago where they said we got 10 new Marvel series, 10 new Disney plus series. A lot of those made sense, you know, Acolyte, Ahsoka, uh, a bunch of the Marvel ones for characters we already knew and upcoming really cool characters like Ironheart. Those all made sense. Now that we're pushing even beyond that, like I get that there's going to be a huge market for under the helmet, the legacy of Boba Fett, because there's some real filmmaking nerds. And I say that in a good way that want to know the process, but 
I don't give a shit. Yeah. I just, just give me yeah. the content and let's move on. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're going though, where they're just giving you the content and moving on. So be careful what you, it's true. you wish for. It's a double-edged sword. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if they, if they pull it off. And I'm so interested to see what happens with like the Disney plus bundle as a whole moving forward. So what of the newly announced MCU projects, not counting Moon Knight, are you most hyped for? Uh, I mean, it's not technically MCU, but X-Men 97, you know, I'm, I'm super hyped about. It's not technically? I mean... I don't think they're going to... I don't think canon it's MCU canon. Yeah, because the, origi- cool, the original cartoon ended in the year 1997. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's just like a continue... Like, they're just going to pick up from where they left off. I, I don't so. think it's going to be a reimagining or... No, or I think like it's going to be the same. I mean, and that is... So when we talk about the bad side of the streaming proliferation of content, that's the good side of it. Exactly. That beloved series from 25 years ago could get revived because yeah. they have a home for it now. Exactly. It makes sense to bring that, whereas the other things may be just grab bag of IP, you know, buzzwords. I will also say that Spider-Man freshman year will be cool because it'll be giving us a piece of Tom Holland Spidey that we hadn't seen yet. See, I am interested for that exact reason, but it's very, very tight, compressed window. It's only the six months before Civil War. So oh, yeah. How yeah. many stories can you tell? Yeah. And I get it. It's animation and like, don't take it too seriously. They can just go on at infinitum and just say oh this is before civil war but yeah, yeah. i think for hardcore uh, uh devotees such as us it's a little bit of a, a stretch but hey as long as we get some uncle ben stuff i'm in yeah absolutely we'll come back to uncle ben later in this podcast <laughs> all right moving on from disney plus day Ridley Scott Scott today announced the live action TV series for Blade Runner and Alien. It sounds like the Alien show is the same one that FX announced with Noah Hawley, but this is the first we've heard of anything to do with a Blade Runner TV show. Uh, just quickly, I mean, you you know I I love Blade Runner 2049, but it bombed at the box office. Uh, Alien Covenant wasn't really my jam, also bombed at the box office. I do find it hilarious that familiarity of ip is more important than actual tangible like success and failure yeah. like, those movies were failures and they're like nope run it back yeah 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 i agree i mean I- i'm the wrong person to ask about how excited i am for a blade runner project because as we'll talk about soon that's one of my favorite films of all time the alien one is funny because the last time ridley scott talked about it i think i, I think one of his quotes were like the show will never be as good as the movies <laughs> it's just like totally dismissive of his own project he didn't confirm that it's the noah holy show or he did he didn't so it sounds like based on the it's way variety be. positioned it that they are one and the same yeah i was left a little curious if it's not i'm sure someone within the next 24 hours is probably going to issue some sort of and is there and is there a network attached to either because i know yeah, fx Alien, was attached Aliens for FX, and that'll be the first Alien franchise entry that takes place on Earth. It has to do with kind of uh, inequality. And I remember I actually talked to Ryan Johnson last year, and I asked him about it. And he said, yeah, I'm I'm all about like the the human Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Noah Hawley, excuse me. Right, right, right. Right. Uh, You know, two talented white guys, I guess. They're they're interchangeable. (laughs) Uh, But he's like, he's like, I'm really interested in the the human drama and the characters and whatever the kind of thematic situation is adjacent to the aliens. Because when that's strong and then you add in the aliens, suddenly you got a gangbusters project on your hands. So I was like, okay, cool. It sounds like it'll split the difference and kind of live in both worlds. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, You know, I love Noah Hawley. And like, listen, Blade Runner 2049, I'm definitely down for more content. I think the reason they're doing this is because it's a less, uh, less you know, high risk 
medium than film where you're going to lose potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. So these actually might fit better now that they've been exhausted as box office. Bags. Yeah. And if you look at Blade Runner as a show, I would argue that it is already built in to be more of a success than the film was because you could just watch it home. And yeah. that was sort of like, I would imagine that Blade Runner 2049 and this is a totally out of my ass stat, but I'm willing to bet the HBO Max streaming views do quite well. I bet a lot of people have been finding it in the years since because they just throw it on at home. I got to assume. So, so a show, especially if they anchor it with a star, now I'm, I doubt that Ryan Gosling is going to come back, but if you anchor that with a show with both Ridley Scott's name attached to it and sort of even if people don't respect the Blade Runner films, they know the impact that it has on the general sci-fi aesthetic. Yeah. So you combine those things. And, a, and from what this sounds like, it's going to be a miniseries. It sounds like it's just going to be a 10 episode contained. You know, I almost. But we don't know yet because we don't, it's not clear if is this a re-adaptation of his movie? Is this a different take on the source material? Do androids dream of electric sleep the novel? Or is this like a follow-up to 2049? There was no specifics given. So that's what I'm really curious. What angle are they taking into the Blade And Runner there's world? also the Blade Runner anime yeah. coming out in the next it's couple of weeks. Oh, it's out already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I blew off the screeners for that one as well. But um, There's only so much we could watch. Yeah, but I'm curious to see if those two intertwine at all if they are going for full franchise universification or if this is just going to be a one-off i would like to see them sort of toe the line right lead yeah. on the ip but not feel the need to tie it into the other projects that they have going on i like the prospect of a 10 part blade runner show more than blade runner 2049 part two i think that this world is one that is right. ripe for expansive storytelling this type of storytelling that that a te- that a long form TV show is just suited for. And I know they're not even remotely an apples to apples comparison, but as we've seen, TV is ripe for that opaque, vague, uh, eccentric material like the White Lotus to become an absolute smash commercial hit. Right. Even though it has none of like the commercial appeal that you would think of when right. you think blockbuster breakout TV show. So yeah, Blade Runner could do well. I just do think it's funny. It's like. Doesn't matter how much failure there is in the track record, we're trying to get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he here he said the pilot is already written. I mean, we we probably won't get a look at this show for at least a year. But I wonder who's like wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showrunner is. Yeah, we'll see. Ridley Scott also he's somebody who you know he's he's been telling us he's working on Gladiator two for like twenty years at this point. So, so we'll see. Yeah. All right, Delroy Lindo has joined the cast of Marvel's Blade in a mystery role. Delroy, Lin- Delroy Lindo has recently starred in The Heart of They Fall and Five Bloods for Netflix. He is, you know, a veteran, well-respected actor, super talented. Having a bit of a moment. Yeah, I- I'm like all in on Delroy Lindo being involved yeah. in any of these yeah. things. I wonder if he's going to play like a mentor-esque figure or a villain. I mean, he just has a very dad vibe about him. <laughs> so, so I'm going to assume it's like some sort of mentor-esque role. This uh, this would lead us to believe that Blade is finally ramping up a bit. I, mean, I we, think we, so, we, yeah. We've been talking about it for a while. Like, its star is in his late 40s at this point. They've got to get the ball rolling on that. I'm assuming because casting is starting, they're going to begin production the next I think, six I think, months or so. Yeah, Q1 so. of 2022. Yeah. I think someone about, said that. But about time. That sounds like a great addition you yeah. know, to, to flank Mahershala Ali. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And I'm also curious, given the Eternals post credit scene, if that movie is also going to star Kit Harrington. 
because that's such an interesting team up to me. Absolutely. And, and to my knowledge, I'm not a huge comics guy, as you guys know, but I've talked to some comics in the know. I don't think they interact too much, uh, uh, the Black Knight and Blade. So that's cool if they're kind of remixing different stories and yeah. doing their own yeah. little spin on it. So I hope so. I mean, you you got to think that that Eternals post-credit scene is either going to tie into Eternals 2 or Blade. Yeah. So, so either, either way, way, those, those two, two are going to be. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Feige has teased a secret MCU project produced by Scarlett Johansson. Notably, not starring her, obviously, but... I always love when it's like, yeah, this is a top secret project. I'm like, dude, what isn't a top secret project? True, but Marvel is somebody whose weight, whose word carries a bit more weight. Like if you look at uh, Lucasfilm with uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Patty Jenkins' oh, movie. Okay. You know, they were like Rogue Squadron. Check out this video of her on the tarmac. Like, <laughs> fuck yeah! And now it's dead in the water. So like, then you got to take it with a grain right. of salt. Marvel is a bit different. I've seen. I don't know if there are rumors or hopes, but that this is Secret Wars. Ooh, and which would bring the Russos the back. the Russos have been teasing for God knows how long that they would like to come But come where was that, that one great place that they teased? Well, they that. did, in fact, tease that on the post-credit podcast in the early, early days of the show. <laughs> but, um, but beyond that, they've gone on to say that a bunch. So the fact that she's back in the fold so quickly, especially after their little dust-up is fascinating well you, you wonder, know kevin feige was reportedly really upset with, with the bob chapek and yeah. how they handled it so i i have to believe this is partly a make good on him being like listen i never liked those guys anyway You're my girl, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah interesting uh, does she have a producing past as far as we know uh, i think she's produced a, a handful of movies i can't remember off the top of my head but you know she she's a very savvy business woman, yeah so I'm not absolutely because she she's that. also producing the tower of terror film yeah. as well so Good for her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jonah Hill is set to star as Jerry Garcia in a biopic directed by Martin Scorsese. What a piece of casting. <laughs> what a piece of fucking casting. Obviously, they had a good time together on Wolf of Wall Street, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, there is Jonah Hill. I have, I've heard don't look up as great. I've heard he's Which great in it. And he's kind of been laying in the weeds the last few years. Uh, so to see him sort, sort of get back on the horse is just great because he is he's a unique performer in the sense that like he brings comedic uh sensibilities to dramatic roles without wading too far into this is a comedy now you know what i mean you know you know I, 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 I listen i i think jonah hill is a very talented person i don't necessarily Moneyball. Would I, you say that that's a comedic character no but is he funny in that role yes yes but i i, I guess i don't I'm not on, quite on board with, with the range and hype that Jonah Hill has gotten as a quote-unquote serious actor as everybody else's, but I think he's talented. And I also think Scorsese is really cool for having atypical leads now in back-to-back movies with Brendan Fraser being cast in The Whale and Jonah Hill. The Whale is uh, Darren Ar- Yeah, absolutely right. It is Darren, Darren Ar- 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 So, But Brendan Fraser is point. in Killers of, yes, of the Flower Moon. So I'm getting all these Jesse Plemons is his lead in that. So that's maybe Got what it, you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting everything. But, you know, listen, at the end it, of the day, I trust... His last show and he's mailing it in already. You believe this guy? <laughs> yeah, I didn't come correct with the notes. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, all right. The next Predator movie is set for release on Hulu in the, uh, I think, 2022. Uh, listen, you know, I, I was someone who thought predator was an absolutely dead ip after so many lackluster installments yeah i watched the one that came the the, there's one that came out a couple years ago and then there's one one that came out in like 2010 from shane black i watched them both both seem like they're of a bygone era whereas like the the basic plot construction is too simple to ip and franchiseification it out 
So the, I guess the prequel route makes sense in that regard. I will say, and this probably reveals how much of a basic bitch I am, that I was so not on board with anything Predator related after the first one was such a classic. But when they revealed the title as Prey, I was like, oh, damn, that's a good title. <laughs> yeah, that that's is. a good title. I'm kind yeah. of back in. Yeah, that is a good title. And Dan Trachtenberg, what do we know yeah. him from? 10 Cloverfield Lane, okay. a lot of really good TV. He's, okay. he's a talented filmmaker and creator, in my opinion. So... This yeah, feels like in. a this feels like an IP, whereas the more you strip it down, the, the better it is. Yeah. So I think uh, I think going backwards in the timeline instead of forward is smart. I think so too. Uh, Henry Cavill wants to play Captain Britain in the MCU. I mean, no brainer. Like if if he wants to and he and he would rather do that than Wolverine in the future, like Kevin Feige, just pick up the phone and make it happen. Or Bod. He, what if he does both and he's just the biggest movie star on the planet? Well, the uh, the feature <clears throat> profile, I believe it was in Vanity Fair. I don't remember exactly, but it was basically like he's on the verge yeah. of like being that next big dude, which because he's starring in what you broke, Argyle. He's Matthew Vaughn. He, giant cast, but he is the lead. So that and Matthew Vaughn said, I had to, to cast, cast him as, as Bond, Bond before Bond. Bond. <laughs> that, 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 that was like more or less a good quote. Yeah, yeah. so. That makes sense. I mean, it, obviously, Henry Cavill's Superman tenure didn't go the way everyone wanted to. Which he to. said he was still down for. Yeah. He's not giving that up yet. I mean, listen, I think as we've proven, it doesn't matter how much bad blood is between you and the studio. Executive hierarchical shakeups ha happen all the time. Like, do I see Henry Cavill playing Superman again in some capacity in the next 10 years? 100%. Yeah, Absolutely. Really? I, Interesting. I, I okay. I mean, listen, Andrew Garfield was literally borderline fired by Sony, and he's back. He's back. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, this shit always blows over always in yeah, Hollywood. And also yeah. money talks. Yeah. And without the Zack Snyder albatross of it all, which again, I'm a huge fan of Zack. We've spoken to him twice on, on the show, but he brings a baggage with him, whether it be his filmmaking style or his rabid fan base. A Zack Snyder project just has a bit more yeah. of a pressure on it. So maybe without him, they can move forward. And what in what capacity could you possibly see him? I, I can see absolutely a Justice League movie. Like a Black Adam 2 or something. something. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I could see that. I, there's just too much money to be made for that not to happen eventually. Especially if his star keeps growing. Exactly. And especially with everyone going to the multiverse and all these people re reprising roles from you know yesteryear that were beloved. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Even if it, it we have to wait until he's, you know, 45. Or I like whatever. that. Now, do you watch The uh, Witcher? Uh, I thought The Witcher season one was horrible i've tr i've <laughs> tried to start it like three times it just can't dig in it's, it's I, listen i get it it's one of the he most says they have episodes. a seven season plan <laughs> and, yeah, and it's the foundation of a franchise i mean they have a spinoff a live action spinoff coming they have like multiple animated pieces around it i, I think it's like borderline unwatchable wow i listen every it's one of the most popular netflix shows ever so i get that i'm in the minority i'm not yeah. telling you what to like i'm just saying i think it's terrible <laughs> fair enough but speaking of bond Dwayne The Rock Johnson says he'd love to play James Bond after his grandfather played a henchman in You Only Live Twice. I, I mean, it's not going to happen because they'll never cast uh, an American as Bond. But like, I just love that Dwayne Johnson's like, fuck it, I'll shoot my shot. Dude, I put out a tweet. Insert relatively famous actor here says he wants to play Bond. Yeah. Like, no fucking shit, dude. Who wouldn't <laughs> want to play James Bond? I do think the idea of The Rock being James Bond, a spy is hilarious yeah. because any villain or bad guy worth their fucking salt, <laughs> as soon as The Rock walks into the room, he'd be like, that's probably the good guy right there. <laughs> I think that guy yeah. is the spot. Yeah, so come on, dude. I also just love at the moment, 
that Henry Cavill and Dwayne Johnson are being talked about as Bond, and then Tom Holland's also being <laughs> talked about Bond. Tom Holland's a good actor. I'm just saying, physically, that is a very funny, you know, trio of yeah. people trying to lobby for the role. Yeah, I mean, I still think if this was five years ago, my top choice would have been Fassbender. I think he just has all the looks. The five years charisma. ago, Fassbender and Idris. Like, that's, yeah, that's, your, Idris that's your list. Even. That's it. Now, I think we're looking at a Richard Madden. Perhaps even they go more unknown. Yeah. You know, Daniel Craig was... He was a what my mom likes to say a happy working actor, but he wasn't a star or a yeah. household name. Mama Italiana coming so, for our job. So they could they could go that route again. They said casting will begin the casting process will begin next year. You theorize that they already have their list. I'm sure that they've already put yeah. out feelers. I don't yeah. think they've cast it yet, but I absolutely who do you think is the process. most realistic of all the names that have been my gut, not listen, who you want it to be. Who yeah, you think is the most realistic? My gut tells me that it's going to be more of an unknown. I, and again, that doesn't mean a completely fresh face. We might know him from from character. Maybe even be like a George McKay. Yeah, type, yeah, type, exactly. Type yeah, Seventeen. Yeah. But I, I, my gut says it's going to be somewhat unexpected. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like that. All right. Oh, Jake. and wait, one more thing, because I was talking about this with my boss today. Do you think they'll continue the serialization format or no. they'll go back? No. I think they're I think they're absolutely gonna go back to standalone. And I think maybe in the future, when another like serious filmmaker comes up comes aboard, they may try to hey, Have let's serialize it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I bet for this next iteration as a direct follow-up, it's going to be like, you know, let's reset the table a little bit. Do you think they'll go young? I what are we defining as young? Younger than 35. But potentially, but I, I'm I think 40 and younger is probably the range. Okay. Yeah, because I, I would like, like to see them go 30. Madden's late 30s, Cavill is late 30s, which they're they're still young enough, but yeah, definitely. I, I, clock's ticking. I think Daniel Craig was like he was 37 at the okay, time. Yeah. So when the when, when the first one came out, he was 37. So they probably cast him at 35-ish, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Daniel Craig, you're the man if yeah. you're listening for any reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake Chilinol continues his mid-career pivot. He has signed up for MGM's remake of Roadhouse. I like. Does Jake Chilinol have a gambling debt we don't know about? Because he's signed on for like 15 projects. He he was up until like a year and a half ago, two years ago, a leading character actor, a weird, eccentric, absolutely ridiculously talented. You know, I mean, if you look at the role he played in uh, Okja. That yeah. was the Jake Gyllenhaal role. That is like peak Jake Gyllenhaal. And, and over the last year and a half, two years, he has, as I've said on this pod, basically gone the Mark Wahlberg route <laughs> and said like yes to like a lot of mainstream, middle of the road type of projects. And I'm just like, why? Well, do you think what you're, happened? You're not, do, you, do you think you're not giving him enough credit for understanding the business side? Like, do you think that he's he's thinking, I'm in my 40s, right? I'm virtually, not in my athletic prime, but in terms of like A-list leading man status, that's the money zone. So do you think he's he's telling himself, I'm going to cake for the next 10 years. And then w w when I'm 50, I'll go back to doing weird shit. But he just never has given off that vibe that he cared that much. Yeah. That. He did Prince of Persia, which bombed. And then he has talked about repeatedly in interviews. I basically have stayed away from mainstream fare to a degree from that and big franchise temples. I didn't like the way they went about filmmaking. I didn't like the process. I didn't like the character. Like he has said things of that nature. So for him to do such a serious pivot, I'm not saying all this stuff is going to be bad. Of course not. I'm hoping all this stuff is good. But like, you know, Patrick Swayze dominated Roadhouse. Like, why Why make that one let of me, your, uh, your hills? Let me pull up the list of, of the stuff he's got coming up. So he's got Michael Bay's Ambulance. Which honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. Looks kind of good. Yeah, I fucking will. I, no, yeah. not will. I, I Not would. I will watch oh, the yeah, yeah. Uh Oblivion Song, which I believe is an, a Robert 
Kirkman story. Oh, cool. Uh, Francis and the Godfather, which I think also has Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah, that's the Paramount Plus one, uh, I think. Prophet, which is, I think, a Tim Miller story. He's the guy oh, who made... Um, Deadpool and Terminator Dark Yeah. Shade. Uh, the interpreter from um, I, I don't know who's doing that one, but then the Sun, an HBO series there with Denny Villeneuve. So I mean, these are yes, they are um, blockbuster projects, but there's a lot there to be excited. But so about. they have like five or ten, just like absolutely. And he's got the Roadhouse like, as well. I mean, yeah. But as somebody yeah. who's long said that Jake J is my favorite A-lister in the game, as somebody who wanted him to be Batman, I'll take this. I I. I I appreciate his talent, but it it's sort of like enemy, right? Great filmmaker, great star. No one's fucking seen that movie. So if if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, does it make a sound? He could do all the weird shit he wants, but if he's not getting that respect, you know, it may not matter to him. I think if he cakes out for a few years, then he'll go right back to doing what he was doing. But I feel that this is not so much of a where you're just saying fuck it, where he just seems to be saying fuck it. I think that this is just a conscious choice on his part to make good on the fact that he's a 40-year-old, square-jawed, handsome white dude. And he's just going <laughs> to maximize that for the next five, ten years. He's going full Hollywood, Chris. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can respect the hustle. It just, it just baffles me. And like, I hope as part of this, you know, mainstream push, he's like, fuck it, I'll play like a dope villain in the Batman too, yeah. just like I did in Far From you Home. You know, it also makes you wonder, the experience he had on Far From Home must have been pretty good. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Because for him to pretty much, that was like the one, right? And I was bummed. I was like, and, and he's good in that. That's an okay film. It's, yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, when it was like, he's playing a Spider-Man villain in one movie, I was kind of bummed that like that was his swing back into IP yeah. filmmaking how wrong I was. That was just his first at bat. I hope though that he doesn't, you know, realize, I hope that he doesn't, isn't faced with the reality, reality that like the well-oiled Marvel machine is not going to be a 10 pole experience on. Right. He, he uh, could, could wind up in a film like bloodshot or something. You know what I mean? Like something ridiculous like that. But let's stick with Spider-Man for our last piece of news, because it then jumps into our Spider-Man no way home uh, trailer discussion. Uh, it is now officially expected, according to a bunch of different box office, uh, you know, prognosticators, to become the first Phase Four uh, film to secure a Chinese release to, release date, the first film of the pandemic to open to at least one hundred million dollars, and the first film of the pandemic to have a good shot at one billion dollars worldwide. Do you think it's going to hit those? Whoa, numbers? are people saying that besides you now? Yeah, yeah, a bunch of people are saying. I mean, that. you've been on that for like. A- a year at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I have pinpointed that one for a while. Do I think it's going to make a billion dollars? Is that the question? Yes. Globally? Of course, yes, right? Globally. The China thing is huge. It's huge. I mean, First if, phase four movie. Yeah, yeah, Chinese yeah. and if you, if you look, look at even how well, well, like, like no, no time, time to die, die is, I think in the sevens at this point? Yeah, I think it's, it's closing in on like 750. So if, if no time to die could get to three quarter bill, I definitely think that this can, especially if the other Spider-Man. Now- Here's the problem. And I tweeted that when the embargo lifts, again, today is November 22nd. We haven't been invited to screenings yet. There's no word. I almost want to tweet that the movie sucks just to like rain hell on people. Some men just want to watch the well. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's that's, that's (laughs) That's the the gift I put up. I remember the tweet. But, um, you know, the movie has to be good. It's going to make money, but there are, especially the reports of them writing the third act on the fly and... 
there were reports that actually Doctor Strange 2 was supposed to come first, but yeah. because of the pandemic, they had to rejigger something. Combine those. All right. So it was a it was a high wire act, even without those like yeah. production hurdles. There are a lot of plates in the air at this point that, you know, it's a house of cards ass thing where I could see the movie not being very good. I genuinely believe that. I mean, I would. I felt the last trailer was a bit underwhelming. It was not as good as the first. Yeah. At so, all. and and not to say I'm worried because Marvel is so on point at this point. Spider Man is their most famous character, but there is an element of is there such a swing? Is there a swing that's too big for them? They pulled off Endgame, so I'm inclined to say no. But I do sort of get the sense that, and especially on the back of the Eternals sort of misfire, I guess you could call it. I do worry. I, I I still think it'll be successful, but I am sort of worried about its ultimate quality. I mean, let's put it this way. We have literally two Spider-Man films from two different franchises that stuffed way too many characters in and failed. We have that on the track record. And yet that's the thing we're most excited for about <laughs> No Way Home. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense from an audience perspective, but if anyone's going to pull it off, it is going to be Marvel. So they have the benefit of the doubt. But when you hear Tom Holland say it's the most ambitious standalone superhero movie ever, I'm like, well, the backside of ambition is failure. Right. It's striking out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that there is potential for that, even though I think overall it looks pretty good. And I and I do think, and I guess the bottom line here is concern is a strong word. Uh, hesitations yeah. about its quality aside, I do think it's going to make a billion dollars. Yeah, me too. I, because I just the 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 hype at this point, it's. Spider-Man 3 is bigger than Iron Man 3, pandemic or not, right? So you got to assume, I think Iron Man 3 made a billion dollars based on- But it also had the benefit of coming out after Avengers. True, true. And that's what helped uh, Far From Home reach a billion dollars because it was right after uh, Endgame. So do you still feel like it's going to? Oh yeah, I think it's absolutely going to make a billion dollars, which will be healthy for all of movies, I, I think. And it just will be so funny that we will have gone basically two full years without like a full on smash hit because No Time to Die is the most uh, profitable, sorry, the highest grossing movie of the pandemic and still going to lose up to $100 million for MGM. Really? Because of the shifts though. So uh, massive production budget, huge paycheck to Daniel Craig. Uh, massive I fucking love that guy just caking massive marketing campaign costs and uh, particularly exacerbated by the false starts and then compounding monthly insurance costs for the delays it was like it was like one million a month and I think it was delayed ultimately like 18 months so that's not good wow I can't (laughs) believe it lost money it's good it's probably gonna lose money did you see those reports of um Oh fuck! What was it? One of a uh, oh, a screenwriter is suing the Bohemian Rhapsody Studios because apparently, okay. even though even though it made nine hundred million worldwide, they claimed it lost fifty yeah. million dollars on the whole. Hollywood accounting for decades. You know, you're talking about the dawn of the blockbuster era is infamous for saying every movie lost money. It is straight up tax evasion slash money laundering. Just. <laughs> in a glitzier Hollywood scale. Yeah. That, that is like a known thing. So for them to say that, like everyone knows it's false, but you have to be able to crack the books from a legal team perspective. It's bullshit. Wow. They, they fuck people out of money left and right. Yeah, it's that's a terrible, wild. terrible wow. business. That's wild. But let's cover it more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stick with Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. Hold because on. Fresh beer? Yeah, sure. 
All right, so sticking with Spider-Man No Way Home, we did recently in the last week get that second trailer that we just mentioned. And I just have like a, a small handful of questions that I think are worth opening up for a discussion as people have different theories and different thoughts and we just don't know quite what's coming. So to start off, we know we've got Doc Ock, we've got Green Goblin, we've got Sandman, we've got Lizard, we've got Electro. Who is the sixth member of Sinister Six? Six, because it looks like Doc Ock is going to be a good guy. Which is huge because you and I had said that they sort of need to explain how he went from redemption at the end of yep. Spider-Man 2 to being like, well, let me just kill all these spiders. Because I know, like, <laughs> oh, there's another one. Let me squash this motherfucker. Yeah. So I am, it kind of looks like he's like, again, this is a total guess, but like, he's almost just like awoken, like, to like, he's fighting Spider-Man on the bridge because that's just what he thinks he should right. be doing. But then he almost realizes, like, wait a minute, I, I'm a good, not good guy, but like, I don't want to be doing this. You know what was a cool theory that I saw? It's not mine at all, but someone said uh, in the trailer, the red dots on the claws are active, which means they are controlling him because that's what we saw in Spider-Man too, the red dots. And then when he smashes Peter and his arms start turning red and he doesn't know what he's looking at, it is Peter's nanobots actually going into his Doc Ock technology, taking over and re basically reverting him back to his normal self. And I was like, well, shit, that's a pretty good explanation. I, I think the Stark tech thing is dead on. I mean, yeah. there, there's no real other way to read that scene except for that. So, but does that mean that we're counting him as one of the six? No, I'm not counting him. I, I assume he's going to actually help them fight. So we have so. four then, Lizard, Electro, Sandman, and Goblin, who I hear is going to be the main villain. Okay, wow. So we need, so we need multiple. So we need here. two more. Now, again, this could be a backdoor pilot for an eventual sinister. Yeah. Like that could be the next movie. You know what I mean? So it also doesn't mean that six have to show up here. Vulture is out there. We know that for yep. a fact, right? Now, he is also in the Morbius world as well. So maybe there's a couple of uh, behind the scenes sort of connections yeah. going on there. Morbius himself, that's probably a stretch. Uh, I think we could cross off Jake G's. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think I saw a report that he might appear in a flashback or a recorded thing. Oh, but interesting. I, either, even if that's not true, even if it is true, he's not going to be the villain. I think we cross off Scorpion, who was the minor villain in, in Homecoming, who we know is still around, just because I don't think they're going to have a Scorpion and a lizard. <laughs> I mean, it just makes sense. At least here. I, I don't think it's going to be Tom Hardy's Venom, which seems to be the popular pick. Because that's also the Doc Ock problem, right? He's a, he, he, yeah. they parade around as heroes. They try to, yeah. they discuss how like, no, we can't eat. We can't eat people. And now he's just going to be like, <laughs> again, let me go munch on this spider real quick. So, and then there, there's also the actual storytelling construction where not only are they having to explain how all of these villains are here, but then they've got to explain looping in Tom Hardy's story. Who's a big name. Which is, and it, a lot of which is also oxygen. different than plucking villains out from 10, 15 yeah. years ago. Venom, Venom has, has an ongoing, ongoing current storyline. Smash hit franchise. Yeah, and you're so, going to what, give him one scene? So I'm actually staying woke on this one. I don't think that we're going to be getting six in this film. I, I, I think... Frankly, it'd be a mistake. I mean, how are they supposed to? Also, share. Just sorry, just to catch you up, but like they also have to explain why Sandman's a bad guy again, too, because he's the kind of a good guy. He kind of yeah. floated off in the wind. And he was yeah. just trying to help his daughter. He's not like a straight up villain. Well, and I think you get a piece of that in the trailer where Doctor Doctor Strange could be one one of the villains. I would love if they had a, a dark Doctor Strange. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that ship has sailed, probably, probably, but just in terms of like. 
maybe not a villain, but a antagonist figure. Because right. there's clearly a dispute between him and Peter that comes to blows. And yeah. he does like the soul pushing thing to him. Um, Just imagine getting bodied that hard. You're like, I'm Spider-Man. I can do it. Nah. You you put, <laughs> you put out that tweet where you sent the text to a friend, like explaining all the things that yeah. they have to do in that. To, and I missed some too. Yeah. So to, so to have blind. to so to have to explain other villains on top of all that they're doing just just seems like a lot and a repeating of mistakes that this character's franchise films has made in the past. So I would hope that it, that they don't go that route. I think I would much rather spend more time with Goblin than have them just throw in two names for the sake of sinister six right. you know i i think i hope goblin gets a lot of run because i mean listen willem dafoe is great and even though spider-man 2 is probably the best live action spider-man i, I thought he was phenomenal yeah. in, in one and there's a lot more room you can explore for harry osborne uh one cool theory from richard oh Newby. sorry go ahead because the gob the there's a shot of goblin that yeah. they show that looks a lot more like dane DeHaan's goblin as well a lot, yeah a lot of people people have been saying that a lot of people think though it's just a uh an upgrade suit for willem dafoe okay. obviously we'll see one i think cool theory from um richard newby at the hollywood reporter and this would require some you know bend over backwards gymnastics but a fourth unknown Spider-Man who comes from a universe where he's evil might fill out the Sinister Station. Oh. Maybe that's just Tom Holland playing two roles. And, and yeah. I think that idea is very interesting. It sounds great, but it just it just seems like a bridge too far. But I also think it, it played into a, a, a pretty cool idea that Richard Newby expanded on. And you can check that out at Hollywood Reporter. Basically, Tom Holland has this experience with these people. And then as a result, goes searching for their in-universe counterparts. So Norman Osborn in MCU universe. So Willem ah. Dafoe's counterpart. And then it raises this question. That's, a, it, that's a great fucking right? point, actually. Yeah. And so it raises this question. Uh, is he is his attempt to save these people before they're villains, quote unquote, what actually turns them into villains? Or does he actually wrangle them to his side? It opens up so many really cool possibilities for the future of the Marvel Spider-Man verse that, yeah. you know, it was a very interesting theory that I, I think people should check out that I think holds a little bit of weight. And now that I'm thinking about my uh, aforementioned hesitations about the plot i do want to amend that by saying they're probably holding a lot back oh yeah i mean a ton we're probably if the film will probably be two and a half hours maybe we're probably only seeing footage except for uh that one shot that's been going around where like lizard clearly gets punched <laughs> by like thin air they're probably that was only Marvel showing Brazil's us fault. Every, yeah. every other trailer was edited correctly in Marvel Brazil. How does that shit happen? man? I it, think because I, we forget that even though these are multi-billion dollar like franchises and corporations, like they're still humans like you and I doing. It's doing like, oh, it's a late work. fucking yeah. night, man. I got to get home. Like yeah. I would totally be the guy who uploaded the wrong. Trailer. Yeah, I would 100 percent be that guy. But my point being is that I'm willing to bet that the footage that they've showed us occur in the first act and a half. Yeah. Not even like mid act two, where there's like you know the hero turn, right, yeah. or where, where where something goes wrong. I don't even think they're showing us that yet. No, so definitely not. And there's also a theory that if you look at the scene, like the screen cap for the trailer shows him in that black suit. If you look at it, it has like venom esque movement to it, as if it's like alive. So there's some theories that going out there that Venom will be in and he'll be on Spider-Man's team. Someone actually said if you look closely also, it may be an inside out Tony Stark suit because of uh the tech malfunctions because you can see wires and shit too. And he also has the iPhone taped to his chest so Ned and MJ can follow along. So I'm torn between like 
Is it symbiote or is it just like something happened with the suit as we saw kind of malfunctioning on the bridge and he has to change, yeah. up, change it up? Yeah. Where do you land on the final six? I, I have a feeling it's not going to be a full set. Same. That's what I think. I think I, it's coming, yeah. but I don't think it's oh, going to yeah. be in this film because Craven is out there more... Maybe the answer is right in front of our face, right? Maybe Morbius and Craven are those last two. I just don't think so. I, I think it would have leaked. You know, we no, 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 not in this movie. Like I'm saying, like oh yeah, the eventual yeah. plans for yeah. them to be the last. I could two. totally yeah. see that. Absolutely. All right, so let's operate under the safe assumption that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this movie. How significantly do you think they will be featured here? You have a note that I think is correct, so. Yeah, okay, so my take was I say third act only, but it leaves the door open for them to return in future installments. And within that, I think Tobey Maguire is much more likely to be the one who continues on, maybe in a Michael Keaton, Keaton Batman reprisal-esque uh, function than Andrew Garfield. I think, again- I've never even considered that. I, I think, listen, I'm not saying as- uh, common as they might be setting up Keaton to be as the maybe kind of DC Nick Fury, but a couple times that here and there. Yeah. And I think it's more likely than Andrew Garfield, A, because Toby Maguire has been a little bit out of the spotlight. B, Andrew did have a bad experience the first time around. And even though, uh, again, I said his ship blows over, but now for two years, he's been forced to lie in every single interview. He's trying to promote his like serious acting. I know. And just been, I feel so bad for him. I think he's probably pissed again about like this whole experience. Although I'm sure it's going to end up okay. And he's gonna be like, yeah, it was a good time. I, I just think I could see Toby kind of continuing on in the future. And occasionally he's a mentor and, and everything. So fascinating. Uh, I think very little in no way home, you know, third act maybe saves MJ. Like everyone's been saying in, on Twitter, but Oh, not- you think that that scene is a little bit of a, Edit the oh, one yeah. that they show in the trailer is not really Holland. Fine. Yeah, I mean, I, we know Kirsten Dunst been tossed off a bridge by Goblin in the first <laughs> Spider Man. Uh, Gwen Stacy obviously died in Amazing Spider Man 2. So she also it, falls like that in three. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, played by Bryce Dallas Howard. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's obvious that Andrew Garfield's probably going to save her in that shot, I think. And that'll probably be his big entrance. And that seems like it happens in the third act. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the same page. I, uh, you know, as we've talked about. There's too much going on in the film for them to have any, like if Toby were to show up in the first act then he needs to be in the whole movie, you know, and that sort of presents a problem in and of itself because you're making a Spider-Man movie about not the one that you're trying to tell (laughs) the story about. Everyone will want to be with Toby. They're like, what's going on with him? And I'm sorry, you can't have Doctor Strange fighting Spider-Man when there's like other Spider-Man running around. It immediately takes precedence. Now to me, that is the most intriguing aspect of this whole thing. The Doctor Strange Spider Man conflict that that battle that they have on the train looks like it's going to be one of the best parts of of the whole film because I think that you know as we've talked about extensively during the course of post cred pod really Doctor Strange is in a pivotal nexus yeah. of the MCU's power scale you know what I mean like he is sort of the the cosmic doorman you know what i mean so for him to sort of you gotta write an article the so cosmic for, <laughs> dr strange the cosmic doorman that's great <laughs> for him to be putting his foot down with peter parker who clearly was going to him for a like dr um tony stark s mentor fashion for dr strange to like virtually sun him is <laughs> is fascinating to yeah. me. so that's something i'm really excited for i hope they explain a little bit more why dr strange is so convinced it's Peter's fault just for talking during his spell because well, like, that, it, all that seems a little bit strange. Uh, 
pun not intended, but it does. It seems right? odd that he would, this mystic wizard would be like, yeah, this fucking teenager really blew it for us, huh? I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, what? you're yelling at a 16 year old kid for like talking and sharing concerns, but like, it doesn't seem based on the trailer that you talk through the ramifications of the spell before starting. Right, and I've- What's I've, going on, I've, Strange? I've reused that Rick and Morty meme I've made a hundred yeah, times so where good. it's like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. And it's just like a teenager literally shows up at, at his doorstep and was like, hey, want to try this crazy, universing spell for me and he's like sure i'm down so it's something about that is very inconsistent i don't know if they'll go full villain role but i do think that the antagonistic relationship between the two will be one of the keys of the film because I, I so. they show strange in that sort of third act whatever doing some kind of like the sky is yeah. tearing open you know what i mean so whatever it is peter's doing seems to be in direct contrast of what Doctor Strange is trying to do. I mean, it seems like he's trying to save the villains, which is very on brand for Peter Parker and very on brand for a 17-year-old Peter Parker right. who's still very idealistic. And I love the line, like. and I love the line that they toss in where it's like their their fate is to die fighting Spider-Man. That is a very cool concept yeah. to me that Peter is going to be an active participant in trying to in trying to stop fate, which is which is a uh, which is like, like a, a- motif like, like you know, you know fighting, fighting the winds of change type thing like you can't do it but it's a noble attempt all the same so there's a, and and that kind of i guess leads us to a good point of that all the most interesting stuff seems to have to do with spider-man himself yeah. and not so much the villain so hopefully they don't get too lost in the villain sauce uh for all the villains just make goblin the centerpiece and ock is the good guy bad guy supporting them okay next question i have do you think there's going to be any surprising cameos or introductions, people that haven't been reported yet? Well, we touched on Morbius and Craven. Uh, I doubt it. That would be an interesting way to further integrate the Sony universes. Um, I think the most real realistic one is Venom. I don't know if Venom will factor into the events of the plot, but given the Venom 2 post-credit scene, the direct tie-in to Spider-Man, I could see him showing up in perhaps the third act, perhaps a post-credit scene, something along those lines just to uh, keep the chain moving forward. It would be weird to have the Venom 2 post-credit scene and not have at least a mention of him in some way. I'm like, okay, well then how are you going to connect? Plus the the implication of that is that he is now in the MCU. Like like he is now existing in the MCU. Yeah, and wants to eat him. (laughs) Exactly. Which again is inconsistent with the first two Venom films. But regardless. But it's like then, then... I don't know. It'd be pretty hard to be like the next Spider-Man film is Spider-Man and Venom without even just a morsel of breadcrumb trails, which which I think probably starts here. I wonder if form. they're setting us up for a Spider-Man and Venom versus Sinister Six type project. That'd be pretty cool. I guess yeah. I could get behind that. Yeah. I think um I think there's two that are possible. One, I think there's could be a post-credit scene introducing live action Miles Morales. So who's already been vaguely referenced exactly. in universe. We know that Donald Glover plays his his uncle, the Prowler. We know because he, he referenced in without name that he's got a nephew who's young. And someone put together like the timelines of the MCU, including the blip jump and everything. And he would be about the age that Miles Morales is. We obviously know Miles Morales is now a hugely popular name because of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And frankly, introducing him in live action just makes too much sense, you know, commercially and creatively yeah. for Sony not to do it. So. Even Tom Holland himself has been like, yeah. they should probably go down that road. It's probably the best, you know, option for, for Spider-Man moving forward. He said something like that. So I can see that. 
And then I also would not be surprised if we finally see Uncle Ben in some form, whether that be through flashback or through another universe where he's still just a good dude. He's like, you may not be my Peter, but you're my Peter. (laughs) And I also think that because why introduce Spider-Man freshman year, the animated Disney Plus series that was announced at Disney Plus Day, unless you have a little bit of a global blockbuster introduction to what is arguably the most important impactful character on Peter Parker. I think it makes too much sense to lead into uh, Spider-Man freshman year, not to have this. I bet they get a solid name for like a one scene appearance where everyone's crying in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Say, I hope. Uh, All right, then last, and then we can move on to the kind of the movie discussion. Now you and I both think Tom Holland's going to be back for more Spider-Man movies. I know he's he's saying that he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's sounding like he's on the verge of burnout. I think he's sounding like a man who's leveraging for a bigger page because <laughs> okay. this, is, this is what they do. Right. This is what they smart, do. S- smart lad. Exactly. He's, his, his agent is like, listen, man, publicly from now on, you only express skepticism as to your future. That's it. Uh, but No Way Home, you know, because it does fulfill the contract of Tom Holland, it's got to end on some note of resolution just in case he really is done. So given that, how do you think it will set up or play into Doctor Strange 2, if at all? How do I think Spider-Man will play into Doctor Strange 2? Yeah, no way home. Like him personally? Oh, the events of the film. Yes, in, in, in terms of the Doctor Strange sequel events. I think whatever sort of window they open won't be shut in this film. And now maybe they'll deal with the Spider-Man problems that have uh arose but the larger, larger multiversal doctor strange problems will carry on so i think that maybe like all right so you know how there appears to be like a box that doctor strange is yeah. trying to put them in they may get the villains in there but i think the fucking the door that they walk through still may be wide open and i think that that is sort of what is going to lead us into this multiversal era is that whatever hole that they tear in the space time continuum in this film is going to remain so they literally tore them a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I actually disagree. Oh. And here, here's my take. I think our heroes will actually close the multiverse by the end of the film. So it's not like this open door where heroes and villains can just kind of pop back and forth between existences. See, that's kind of how I was seeing it. So I, I, yeah, I, I think they're going to close it. I don't think that'll be a problem anymore. But I think the whole experience of No Way Home is going to really cement the danger of the multiverse for mm. Strange. And he's going to be way more sensitive and protective of it moving forward. And I think that experience will bring him into conflict with Wanda, who may be messing around with the mm. multiverse in search of her children, or she goes to ask him for help with that goal in mind. And he now, with this learning experience, is like, I literally can't. I'll fuck everything up again. <laughs> and that is- Been there, done that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's where the conflict will come from. So I think it has to close on some sort of resolution just in case Tom Holland doesn't return, which again, 99.9% he is. But I, but then I you forget think- about the Venom part of it all. If they close that door, do- doesn't mean that that means Venom gets sent back to his I- I'm Sony sure world? I'm reopen it. You know, we don't, we <laughs> okay. don't know what, what brought him in. We Obviously, it's probably the spell, but listen, it's no comment. Right, exactly. Yeah. He'd be like, I built a machine. You know, Tom, uh, <laughs> uh, Tony Stark figured Marty, out. Marty, get in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But for real, Tony Stark finished figured out time travel in like a week. Yeah. Which yeah, like yeah. the only that's like one of my only sticking points of Avengers Endgame. He's like, he did it on the couch. Yeah. Like they're like, <laughs> Tony, we're gonna try this. He's like, I can't. 
And then he tinkered with it. He's like, I got it. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me, <laughs> Problem dude. solved, everybody. Don't worry. Tony Stark is on the case. Time also, travel. Truly, Easy. though, too, if he was that smart of an individual, like, he could have helped the world so much more as Tony Stark than as Iron Man. Right, right. Yeah. Actually, as Iron Man, Well, that's the, the old Batman versus Bruce Wayne thing, but no one's going to a fucking Bruce Wayne movie. I would go to a Bruce Wayne limited series. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, let us move. Does into... Bruce Wayne pay his taxes? Find out next week oh, on God. Bruce. I, I, it's Bruce Wayne's probably a hardcore conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you blaspheme! Don't you blaspheme my fucking dog and my. I mean, dude, he hates poor people because poor people <laughs> killed his parents. Like, come on, he's probably like, no, fuck public works programs and shit. Yeah. You want financial know. aid? Get a job. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, all right. So we, we have done drafts before. We're not like we said up top. We're probably not going to really do a draft now. It's going to be a little bit more free flowing. Basically just going to talk about our kind of five film roster of favorite, favorite movies. And you can go about it any, any way you want. It can be all Marvel and all blockbusters. It can be all Oscar contenders. It can be any mix. So why don't you start us off? So, my friend? I mean, look, we are at the end of the day, movie guys. We talked a lot about TV shows on this show. We talked a lot about Marvel comic book films on this show, but I think at the end of the day, our shared passion is film, Yes. right? So I just thought that this would be a good way for us to close out our time as co-hosts. Now I, I say we start at five and work our way up. Ooh, okay, interesting. I like that. So, and, and I have a firm top five. It gets a little sketchier when I push it out to 10 and I'll, I'll name some of those films, but I think I have a pretty solid top five so some of the ones that just missed the cut are curious case of ben button looper and glorious bastards rogue one the social network logan inception guardians of the the galaxy mad max fury road gladiator and steve jobs damn that's a heavy hitter list so my number five and i brought this film up on the show tons of times is blade runner 2049 um in hindsight i wish that Ryan Gosling was a little less robotic because I think that, I mean, he's a fucking robot, but I think that (laughs) the impact of what should be an emotional story is lessened by this sort of very monotone-esque nature of the lead. But even still, for a Denis Villeneuve film on the massive scale that it's on with the visuals that it has, for it to have the heart that I felt that it did, like for me to be genuinely invested in this robot's uh, (laughs) self-worth... And like his love of his computer program girlfriend, these are once again romantic sci fi. It helps that Blade Runner is that's one of the most visually striking movies I've ever seen. It helps that, as I've brought up a few times, the twist genuinely got me where I was was all in on on him being the 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 chosen child, and then him not being really kind of was a head twist for me, but. And that's why when we talk about it being a failure, it genuinely breaks my heart because (laughs) while I can't say I was like, because I felt the story was kind of done, right? It's not like I felt... um, They were trying to tee up like the robot uprising. Yeah, but that's not something I really cared about. You know what I mean? But I do kind of wish that 
Kay's story had gone on. I would have liked to continue with the Ryan Gosling character in that. But all things told, I think the combination of the aesthetic, the importance in sci-fi culture, um, the Blade Runner, the original one, I think it's quite boring. So boring. But if you, but it looks amazing. Absolutely. And you can see how it's inspired 30, 40 years of sci-fi films. Um, I mean, we, we have no like neon steampunk matrix-esque turn of the century uh, aesthetic without Blade Runner. In my uh, right. So to be able to merge those sort of grandiose aesthetics with a story that I was so emotionally invested in that first time, that's sort of the perfect concoction of what I l- look for in film. A merging of the grandiose and the granular. I, I think it's unbelievably well put and I can't argue. I, I think... And you know, I fucking hate when critics use this word because it's tossed around so freely and liberally these days. But I think Blade Runner 2049 is a masterpiece. Yeah. It's a modern masterpiece. And I revert, I try to reserve that for one movie a year, if that. Oh, wow. I like and, that. In terms of 2017, hell yeah. What is yours for this year, 2021? I don't think I've seen a masterpiece this year. Okay. At least not yet. And uh, you know what? I'm probably reserving my 2022 uh, uh, masterpiece moniker for Morbius. yeah i would never well let's see it first um i didn't really necessarily rank these in terms of like one through five but i will start off with one that's probably the lowest of my top five scent of a woman which might be a little curveball for a lot of people but wow i find this to be one of the most eminently rewatchable movies i I don't think i've ever seen it from start to end all all i know is (laughs) so it is it is al pacino and a young chris o'donnell there's there's young um Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's just phenomenal in a small, snivelly, preppy boy uh, role, role. I just love everything about this movie. I never, ever fail to cry in this movie, ever. Every single time. He's I mean, blind, right? Yeah, Al Pacino. And listen, Al, Al Pacino won his long-awaited Oscar for this. Oh. It is 100% agreed upon across the industry. He should have won for like Dog Day Afternoon or The Godfather. I'm like, this was kind of a makeup call. Yeah, like like Marty and The Departed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't mean he wasn't great in this, and he was. And this this was a little bit the start of his kind of gravelly hoo-ha yeah, yeah, phase yeah. that we now know him and associate him as. <laughs> but I, I think when he is tangoing with this beautiful woman and just killing this dance as this blind man and the music is swelling like, Every time I'm like, God damn, this movie is so good. You like classic movies. Because your number one pick is not not classic in terms of like old, classic in terms of their construction and like the type of movie that we don't see anymore these days. Yeah, and you'll notice from a lot of my my choices are from the last uh, 30 years, pretty much for, for the most part. But man, I think Scent of a Woman is this beautiful, humorous, human story about lost souls finding each other through completely random uh connections you know a a a a lonely schoolboy and a kind of bereaved traumatized angry alcoholic asshole blind man who have no blood relation become the most important people in each other's lives over the course of a weekend and there's something truly beautiful and and absolutely this is hammy and corny and like schmaltzy but i think it's the net positive of schmaltz what who uh directed that you you don't even know off the dome that's a great question wow let me let me say martin breast fuck if i know wow midnight run okay meet joe black which i like Gili, so <laughs> oh, a, wow. a unique career. Yeah, absolutely. But I, yeah, and but again, I, I also judge 
favorite movies differently than I judge best movies. And mm. to me, one of the most important criteria is rewatchability. And mm. I, I fucking love that. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. It's, could... it's long, though. I'm telling you in advance. Here's the problem with that one. Despite ha- not having seen it, I know the meme that it's become in, in the years since. Because his performance, you say, is good, but it's so over so, the top. People... I'm in the dark here. <laughs> people, are not, like yeah, people know about it without yeah. even seeing the movie. Um, so for my number four and the, the next two films I'm so going to list, list set me on the course of my career of my life, of, okay. of sort of how I wound up in this space. Um, I remember my parents showing this to me far younger than I should have seen it. The first scene is like one of those moments where you're like, whoa, like movies are allowed to be like this. <laughs> and that is Goodfellas. Ooh, okay. When they open the trunk and the red taillights are just bathing them and Pesci pulls out a steak knife and fucking plunges it in full view into this guy in the trunk, my life changed that day. Because that was the most <laughs> like, love it. that was the most violent thing I've ever seen. You know, I'm sure I had seen like James Bond movies where things get blown up, but just the visceral yeah. sort of violence of it. Little did I know at the time that it was one of the greatest films ever made, but I just have this distinct memory of the first moment I saw that scene. Now, beyond that, would you say it's the defining film of our lifetimes? It was made before our lifetimes. No, uh, <laughs> no, I know, but I'm saying like I'm saying like, is it the most relevant movie to come out since 1990? I, I, I when did it come out? I thought it came out in 1988. No, 90 flat, 90 or 91. Okay, well, regardless, I I think it's probably the defining gangster movie for that millennial cutoff. I think before that, you obviously go with Godfather, Godfather and I, yeah. I think. You know, the Godfather, Which I just Godfather. can't connect to in, in that same way. It's like, I love The Godfather, but I am I'm, I'm no way, shape, or form uh, criticizing The Godfather, but I do think Goodfellas is just like the, the modernized equivalent yeah. for around yeah, our generation. It's got a faster pace and all that stuff. But, yeah. you know, I'm not going to sit here and vamp about one of the greatest films of, of all time. There's nothing that I can say that hasn't already been said about it, but just in relation to me and in yeah. terms of like my, like, my parents aren't, they're not movie, like, uh, obsessives, but they are movie fans. Yeah. They are like the general pop culture audience with a little bit more passion and concern. And they showed me this movie when I was preteen. Respect that. Yeah, Respect. preteen, 10, 11 maybe. And I just, I distinctly remember it changing my entire outlook on film. My, my movie watching life was never the same. I mean, it's the gangster movie like idea. You, like I learned about what a tracking shot is through that film. You know, I I I I know what a needle drop is mm-hmm. because of that film. Yeah. All of these pop cultural tenets. De Niro just doing his fucking De Niro thing. Marty, this was my first introduction to a Martin Scorsese movie. So in terms of impact on my life, of course, it's quality is of the highest order. But in terms of personal effect. I am not sitting here at this table had I not seen that film when I saw it. You filter major pop culture tropes and benchmarks and familiar archetypes now through that experience, exactly. through that movie, yeah, which yeah. I think is great. When when you are like, oh, I get storytelling on a, a grander level through this one film, it, everything is now compared to that. Yeah, exactly. And it still is to this yeah. day, it, 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 both by me and at large. That's why I think like when, when Black Mass came out, it was getting a lot of hype and like other other recent gangster movies i'm like listen is it fair to compare it to one of the greatest gangster movies ever no but like they all feel like pale imitations yeah, and i'm yeah. sorry that i can't help but feel that way yeah, yeah all right so that's a great great choice i think goodfellas is 
phenomenal and yeah. you know, Scorsese's kind of defining trait. Uh, I think for my, you know, quote number four, I'm going with the Shawshank Redemption, <sighs> which in my mind is as close to a perfect film that may exist in, in our, you know, 1990 to, to today timeline. I think it was the first time I realized, oh, like adaptation of text to screen, page to screen actually can be stellar and improve on the source material in right. certain instances. It was just like a short story, yeah, it's I believe, a short, right? It's a short yeah. story, a very good short story, but very Stephen different. King as well, yeah. which is a huge d- departure from what we know him for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's this just beautiful story. And I think every performance is pitch perfect. And every little cinematic flourish that Frank Darabont introduces here is pitch perfect. The vo- I think there's no better voiceover narration mm. maybe in the history of cinema. Yeah. Safe to say I liked Andy from the start. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, Red, you, you compelling bastard. You yeah. tell such a good story. Yeah. And yeah, even just the small moments, you remember the town, Red, don't you? And he says to himself, say, what's a Nehu? Right, it's right. It's just beautiful. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's about male platonic friendship, yeah. which I didn't see coming from a, a yeah. hardcore prison movie with butt rape. <laughs> But it's this, it's this beautiful, beautiful tale of what we realize is within us under the most extreme circumstances. And, you know, Andy Dufresne never let, he never let the worst of circumstances change And, and here's something that I think is consistent with the films that we've chosen so far outside of 2049 is that they've bled into culture beyond their actual uh, runtime. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Shawshank, you could you could play somebody one of Red or Andy's many iconic lines out of context, and they'll be like, "I know what that is. Exactly. I know where that's from." Or he he crawled through five hundred yards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, every, like people know what that is, regardless of how old you are or where you grew up. It's just one of those movies that has proliferated itself through culture that it's now not just a movie, but an American cultural touchstone like family guy doesn't parody something unless it's this huge unbelievably important cultural touchstone like you said and i just you know i'm reminded of the time where the warden's knocking on the door and he just turns up the italian opera to play for everyone and he says you know in that moment we were all free It, it reaches for something so unbelievably prolific about the human spirit that i think movies do not do anymore it's yeah. all base common denominator and you know a two and a half hour non-action filled adult skewing drama with like at the time huge movie stars it just doesn't it's not made anymore and, and something like that yeah. is falling completely out of favor and yeah. god damn it's a classic performances through the roof great uh my number three is similar to my number four in the sense that i sort of remember how it changed my perception of film at the time and is sort of become a benchmark of how I evaluate things going forward. Um, in this film's case, whereas Goodfellas showed me that movies could be more violent and realistic than I realized, this movie made me realize how you could play with form and structure to make it all the more fantastical, and that is Pulp Fiction. Great choice. This movie taking place out of order as like a teenage kid, you're just like, what the fuck is happening to me right now? <laughs> they started at the diner and they ended at the diner. <laughs> I am totally lost. But, but when it all made, but when it all clicks, that moment that. it clicks, you're just absolutely floored yeah. by it was irreverent at the time. And now it's become the standard. You yeah. know what I mean? Like T- Tarantino had reinvented what a mainstream film could look like. And now 
for next, you call it what? Tarantino light or something. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Uh, you know, lucky number 11 and all these movies that were so trying to ape his style. For the next 15, 20 years, people have been trying to make their own pulp fiction. I mean, I still. Mean, yeah, still, even still to this day. And when you just combine it and his use of pop culture in the film. So whereas like before this, I felt that most movies existed inside the TV. You know, right. that's where they lived. Pulp fiction made you re- made me realize like, Oh, like they live in the same world as me. And that just sort of changed my entire perspective of how to analyze and enjoy movies. I will never forget watching Samuel L. Jackson's um, monologue at the end where where he's got Ringo at gunpoint and he says, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm the shepherd and you're the evil man. And And it's just, it's one of those moments that, and and it's not unique. I mean, Pulp Fiction and Goodfellas, real unique choices, Eric. You know what I mean? Listen, they're defining uh, but for installments when, right, for a reason. Exactly. But for when I was born, 1993, growing up with those two films completely have informed my pop cultural taste right. and then therefore have informed my career because I always wanted to be involved with something that I loved. And without Bruce Willis with a fucking katana slashing a rapist in half or Ving Rhames cocking the shotgun being like, I'm pretty fucking far from okay. My life would be different. And that carries such weight with me. Now is Pulp Fiction Tarantino's best film? I think Inglorious Bastards makes a real fucking case. I kind of go back and forth depending on my mood. So it is almost odd to take a movie that I'm not even sure is the filmmaker's best work. But, and this is kind of the point of my picks its impact on culture at large. I mean, if you if you say a line from that film, you could remember the entire scene, exactly. right? Like, whether it be, my family and I quote the Travolta scene where, where he pulls up on the lawn and the guy's like, the day that I bring an OD dying bitch to your house, I'll give it a shot. You give it a shot. <laughs> you, know, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get, get better, better than, than that. that. Combining, Combining cinematic Excellence in terms of the structure of the screenplay and the acts, pop culture references, and then therefore becoming a pop culture reference in and of itself is just a remarkable achievement. And I am forever chasing that feeling of how I felt when I watched Pulp Fiction for, for that first time. <laughs> I got to clap it up. That was just a beautiful monologue. And I completely understand what you mean. And I'm still to this day blown away that it was Tarantino's second ever feature film and it imprinted on pop culture forever. Yeah. I I don't know how it's possible that you could pull that off. Yeah. Especially Especially in today's day day and age, right? We we don't we don't have like the room for a breakout director quite in that space. Yeah. You know, you, you direct like Taika YTT. But even then, it's like he, he made what we do in the shadows, which is phenomenal. But like that didn't break out. That was a very niche thing. Whereas like this was his second feature ever, and Pulp Fiction was like, okay, this is it. We're gonna nominate for Best Picture. It's this over, is the know? guy now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God bless. It's a great choice, and I can't, you can't go wrong. Uh, for my number three, very similar to what you're saying in terms of personal imprint, but uh, not a little bit different from my number two choice, which we'll get to, The Matrix, the original. Oh, you love this movie. I was seven years old when it came out. And uh, I've said on this pod before, my parents divorced when I was five or six and to spend quality time with my brother and I, they each went about things in their own different way. And they were both pop culture based. My mother would have like TV nights and she'd like lower the lights and make popcorn. And we'd kind of like build our like 
fake at home theater and we, we'd, we'd watched big TV events. And my father was taking me and my brother to a minimum of two movies a month for like a decade, which is where my, that's love awesome. Really started. Yeah. That's awesome. One thing he did not do well is, uh, you know, filter the types of films he brought us to. I right. saw way too many disgusting, horrible <laughs> R rated things as a young kid. I was seven years old when the Matrix came out. And you saw it in theaters? Yeah, saw it in theaters. Wow. I, I remember distinctly, beyond a shadow of doubt. Didn't it go right over your head? This is exactly what I'm going to get to. <laughs> I remember sitting there being like, I have no idea what is going on, what's happening, what this movie means, what I'm supposed to be following. But I know I fucking dig it. I know for a fact this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. That was probably and my first earliest memory of being in the theater thinking, my mind is fucking blown. Yeah. And so that has stayed with me forever. And you know what? When that happens to a young kid, 99% of the time you rewatch it 10 years later, 10, 15 years or 20, it doesn't hold up. It just yeah. doesn't. It's stupid. And you're like, you know what? I was a dumb kid. Matrix holds up, dude. Absolutely. It 100% holds up and much like Tarantino, but in a different way, influenced about, uh, you know, a decade of pale imitators that were trying to get that, you know, gunfu style, the Eastern influence in terms of action, the kind of philosophical blockbuster that has yet to be imitated. So uh, the Matrix very important to me as a theatrical experience and probably why today, you know, I love streaming. That's I'm an important, that's an important yeah. distinction too. Yeah, because I, I I will always say movie theaters are my first choice, even though I love streaming. And I, I think it's a necessity with the business model these, day, th these days. But that was my my theatrical V-card swiping yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of mind blown. Yeah. So, oh man, you can tell I'm just getting excited. Man, no, hearing yeah. you say that, actually, my first thought is that I'm bummed that we won't get to chat the fourth one in a month. Well, hopefully I can I can guest or something. We'll, we'll figure right, it out. Right. I have to, all future digital media appearances have to be approved by my company. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Um, hearing, you know, we've talked about the fourth film a lot on this show. You don't sound as excited. Like the your excitement for The Matrix 4 doesn't seem to correlate with your passion for the first one. I think it's because, you know, the second one has aged better. Second one slaps. It's, it, when it first came out, I hated it. Yeah. It's aged better. Three is not good, Three but is two, is, like two I think, is legit good. And I think also the surrounding Wachowski material, almost none of which I've liked, it's it's tough for me to get like over I'm the moon. A, I'm, a, I'm I, I am a cloud Atlas truther. A lot of people are. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not going to knock it. It's not, it's not for me, but like... No, you know what people rep? Speed Racer. Yeah, people rep Speed Racer. Which I've watched clips on YouTube and it looks like the worst movie ever so, made. <laughs> I saw it when it came out. I thought it was terrible. Um, this revisionist history. No, nah, not revisionist, but this this resurgence of of love for it over the last five, seven years has happened. I watched it again. Still terrible. <laughs> Awful. I, I don't yeah you know other than their 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 star is faded significantly i think they wrote the script for v for vendetta which they did not direct yes correct and i love that but you know I, and this is no disrespect i just i think that's why my matrix four excitement is high but not and they also you know, had uh jupiter ascending which is, i believe you know, it's a bomb I, I think as well I got like 40 minutes into that yeah before calling yeah it. yeah i'm uh i'm worried about it I am. I, 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 because of just what you said yeah. and how long it's been that they've proven that they could churn out, out a hit. But the Keanu of it all is so enticing at this point that I don't even know if I'm going to care. <laughs> if I, if I just see John Wick doing Neo shit, I'll be like, sweet. I mean, when he, in the trailer, when he deflects the missile into the other helicopter, I'm just like, God, that's cool. <laughs> all right. So my number two um, is the, no, sorry, it's not the newest of, of the film, but similar to um, 
pulp and goodfellas it is informative in my life um i was already obsessed with this character beforehand and then this movie showed up and absolutely rocked not just my world but the movie going world in general for it to turn out as good as it did especially considering the um let's call them interpretations that i grew up with was a was such a 180 in terms of quality and storytelling and all that and that is number two is the dark knight yeah okay uh, i uh, knew the dark knight had to pop up somewhere on yeah, your list yeah, i knew yeah. yeah so as i've said on this show a bunch of times batman the animated series it informed my childhood and then therefore informed my life. And I remember, you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize that Batman and Robin sucks. Like you like, it just, it just doesn't occur to you. You know, I had it on VHS. I watched yeah. it a million like, times. Bane's pretty scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't, you don't really realize, but then once I got to my teenage years, so I was born in 93, but by the time Batman begins, you youngin. By, wow, are we the same age? No, I was born in nine. I'm only a year older than oh. you. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, so by the time Batman Begins came out, I was like 12, 13. And I was like, oh, Batman could be like fucking serious. Like yeah. this is a different ballgame. Batman Begins was great. Don't get me wrong. I also actually remember seeing that in theaters for the first time. But The Dark Knight, it was a combination of, it was sort of not the dawn of the internet as we know it, but like the viral marketing campaign yeah. that they did, it was it was a shift. You add Heath's death before that, and The Dark Knight became this swell of anticipation before it ever hit theaters, right? And then for it to deliver on all of its promise to such an extent where, you know, the same way that we've talked about The Matrix and Pulp, how people have been trying to recreate that ever since. Mm -hmm. Heath Ledger's Joker is still like the state, like the cinematic standard of bad guys, right? So for me to be 2008, I'm 15, right? I'm in prime, like nerdy teenager <laughs> yeah. zone, you know? For that movie to deliver the extent that it did to not only fulfill my Batman uh, needs and wants, but like my filmmaking needs and wants and to merge the two, to be like, hey man, we're going to give you that rich guy who dresses up like a bat that you've loved since you were four and make a serious fucking movie about him that is more heat than it is Batman and Robin. That, that remains to this day a monumental achievement. And if you want to talk about films that have aged well, has The Dark Knight aged at all? No, it hasn't. You know what I mean? Like it's it, the J-Lo of movies. It hasn't it, aged. It just, it, 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 it's almost lost in time. It, you, you could tell me that it came out in 2017 or 2003. And I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Like, I totally <laughs> believe you. So now I will say The Dark Knight films let me down in terms of like, Batmaning, like fighting and punching and kicking and flying around the, you know, the rooftops and all that shit. But in terms of movie making, it was sort of that proof that I know Iron Man gets a lot of the credit for launching the MCU, but I think The Dark Knight was what made that was the first billion dollar superhero film, I think. I believe you're right. And yeah. so it made Hollywood realize that there was a whole new market to plan, not just in terms of, oh, we could try out new characters. Iron Man, Thor, whatever, but we could tell them seriously and yeah, we, don't we don't have, have to, to dumb, dumb it down. down. And, and so, so I mean, even if I wasn't a Batman guy, right? The Dark Knight is held in the highest esteem, but being someone like me, who's an borderline obsessive, that was a game changer for not only my life, but film at large. I like what you said too about the pre-release hype, because in many ways it is the LeBron James of, of movies in that it came into the cultural consciousness with hype that was unparalleled, unrivaled, and unmatchable 
and somehow exceeded it yeah, despite our, our yeah, yeah sky high expectations that never happens it never happens we are always disappointed particularly the twitter era which is you know probably the 10 years after the dark i mean, I, I, I started this pot off saying no way home don't get your hopes up too high exactly so it goes to show you i mean I, the dark knight more or less is unimpeachable yeah, i think yeah. and i know that's film bro to say these days but i'm sorry yeah, like well, fuck them yeah christopher nolan created the gold standard and i think and, uh, you know and i will say one of the great what ifs is had heath not died yeah. not only in terms of the dark knight films right because they clearly leave the door open for him to come back but in terms of his career he was 27 years old when he filmed this movie That's insane that is fucking he would only he would he would be like jake jake g's age he'd be like 40 he'd be in the prime of his career right now he would have been a two-time nominee, one-time winner for Brokeback and then Dark at Knight. Least, yeah. yeah, at least. I, I, I would have loved to have seen what he had had to say about the performance. Yeah. You know, like, hey, man, that we've never seen that before. What yeah. did you do? Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? Yeah. So it, it's obviously a tragic but, loss well, for a lot of reasons. But, but one of the great sort of entertainment what-ifs of my lifetime, beyond the Dark Knight combo, what Heath Ledger could have become is a is a painful loss. But on the flip side of that, it makes that Joker performance live in such a rarefied yeah. air that I don't know who, or if so, when that villainous performance will ever be topped. I mean, you look at like a Daniel Plainview type thing, but it's not sort of the same ilk. You know, I'm talking a true and true villain. Right. Good luck. <laughs> Good Just don't try. Yeah, good luck. And obviously, I, I think that was one of the driving factors behind Jokers, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and, and um, who's the director again? Um... Uh, Todd Phillips. Yeah, Todd Phillips. Like, I mean, they deliberately made him a. He's not a villain. He's just some guy who right. kind of gets thrust into these circumstances. I mean, he is a villain, of course. Does terrible things, but it, he's just some guy who loses. Him. Right. It's not like I am a criminal mastermind, scene stealing villain. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say his performance isn't amazing because it is because his whole body is a. I mean, he won movie. for it, which is amazing. But then if you compare the two, I I don't even think it's the same. It's it's the thing to is, quote it's, Pulp Fiction. It ain't even the same fucking sport. <laughs> I think to me, people are always like, which one was better? I was like, I don't think they're the same role. I don't care right. what the moniker is. Right. Joker. They're not the same character right. even remotely. So I don't necessarily judge them. Together. And and that's the thing with Heath's Joker. He never seems like the world is beating him down to this point. He seems like he chose, he chose violence. To, he runs to, the yeah, world yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So my next choice is very much now squarely in your criteria, your rubric, the one that had the biggest personal impact on me. And I'm going to cheat here and choose a whole trilogy instead of uh, one film, but it's my last show. So fuck it. I don't care. I'm, I'm changing the rules. I'm going with the entire Star Wars original trilogy. Wow. I have said this a million times to anyone when it came up, I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the Star Wars uh, original trilogy. I remember the first time I saw him. I was you do. Four years old. Yeah. I was four years old. My brother had him on VHS. He was like sick one day from school. I think I pretended to be sick and we, or something like that. Great brother story. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we watched all three in one day. And I just remember my cap being peeled back. I'm like, space wizards? <laughs> wizards in space with swords? What do you mean? You know, and, we, me talk, and we talk about that with Star Wars a lot, how it's important for parents out there. And if you're a parent with a young kid, hear us you need to show them this movie before they become aware of the fact that it's old yeah exactly. and that is a huge key here and it, it blew me away on every level i mean when was the last time you you watched a whole trilogy in one day and yeah. i get it four years old is a little bit of a different ball game but i have loved star wars ever since as everyone who listens to this show knows 
Star Wars is my Batman to Eric. Right, right. And uh, it really, truly made me fall in love with films. And I always like to say for television that I lost my TV V card to Smallville in terms of mm-hmm. like and uh, uh, serialized live action. Mine's lost. Yeah, but lo- and I say lost was my first love. So I lost <laughs> my, my V card. To I like that. Both. I lost my V card and fell in love with Star Wars that day. And again, I, I don't think I ever would have been as into film, regardless of what happened with my parents and the times they, that they wanted to spend time with us, if it wasn't for Star Wars. I remember I wanted to watch anything and everything related to space after that for like seven years. Yeah. And honestly, still, because I love sci-fi. So it, it has the most pathos, the most kind of sentimental value and the most impact on me of any any film on this list. And yet you drafted Return of the Jedi first, right? No, I drafted Empire. Uh, okay. I was going because he drafted. Oh, he drafted Return of the Jedi, which I still can't believe I lost that that draft. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, on the whole, would you categorize yourself as excited about Star Wars' future? Yes, yes, I would. Okay, absolutely. Even the film side. I mean, listen, just give me Taika Waititi's film, and I'm in. Yeah, you know, I mean, but at this point, that seems like a shady prospect. Listen, they're gonna figure it out. Uh, obviously, they've had a lot of tumultuous behind the scenes issues, but. As long as Taika Waititi gets to do his Star Wars film, which I think, you know, he's he's Disney's golden boy right yeah, now. Yeah. That's going to happen. And I'm say that. almost positively going to love it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my number one is the least like any of these films on here. I think it speaks to who I am at my core, which is a sucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like the honesty there. there now, it, this was born out of a couple of things, right? It was the year that it came out and the age that I was. Uh, and it was the actor who was in it. Growing up, Jim Carrey was my favorite actor, right? And so, and I think when you're younger, more so than movies, you attach yourself to actors, yeah. right? You're like, oh, I like that guy. I want to watch movie stars matter, right? I want to see what you know the shit that he's got coming out. And so, by the time I was 10, 11, 12, I would be vaguely aware of the new films that he had coming out. <clears throat> it, it just so happened that film that this film wound up being widely considered one of the best films of the 2000s so far. It is the genesis of my romantic sci-fi obsession. And this movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Similar to Pulp Fiction, the way that it played with structure was new to me. It was something that I had never seen before. And once you're able to wrap your head around it, you almost reach like a higher plane of like movie consciousness, right? You know, you're like, it's it's a doorway to a different, type of storytelling and therefore passion and love and eternal sunshine to me was memory fascinates me i am fascinated with, with the idea of like where third party into our brain choosing what it chooses to hang on to you know what i mean like you don't consciously say to yourself i'm gonna remember this or i'm gonna <laughs> f- forget this your brain just does that shit for you right and i've always found that so cool how like we're not even involved in the decision-making process behind what we hold on to. And your memories define who you are. Yeah. So for them to make a movie about that with my favorite actor, looping in the romance of it all. And you can't go wrong with Kate Winslet. You can't go wrong with Kate Winslet, who I believe was nominated for that too. It To this day, it's one of those movies where, whereas Pulp Fiction, I remember in my brain, Eternal Sunshine, I remember in my soul. Like when I watch that movie, I feel things that few experiences in this world can drag out of me. It is both melancholy and hopeful. It's memorable, yet literally forgetful. It is Jim Carrey, who you associate with comedic exuberance, completely dialed back. 
It's all the things that I've come to love about film. And that is, I think, why I like Blade Runner 2049 so much, because there are elements of being a passenger in your own life, and yeah. but still like knowing that you love this person in its core story. But Eternal Sunshine is the epitome of that. And to this day, I think that I will never see a movie that will stick with me the way that this one has. I love that choice too, because now it's become on Vogue these days. Absolutely. It's a love story about a breakup. Right. Which is, you know, inverting the classic formula. And now everyone does that these days, but this is what started it. And like you said, you said to see Jim Carrey in such a different mode to really see the depths of his talent. I mean, he was my guy. He was like my fucking guy as kid. I could recite liar, liar, front to back. You know what I mean? Like Peter Griffin in that one episode (laughs) where he's like, this is what you have to do. Um, I, I think that's a that's a great choice. I knew that was coming because I, I remember you talking about it a, a ton in yeah. our friendship. So it's just I kind of want to rewatch it. I yeah, seen it in a beautiful while. movie. It's, it's just beautiful. Call. Yeah, I do like that. Our first choices aren't similar in any way, but they are different than other things. So for me, I'm going with Almost Famous. I knew that was coming, yeah. My favorite movie of all time is coming at age tale of a 15-year-old kind of, you know, outcast at school who is on tour with uh, one of his favorite bands because he's kind of like a freelance rock journalist. And it, it is this wonderful story about maturation and finding yourself in these odd circumstances. It features, you know, I saw that in school. They showed that to really? us when I was growing up in school, like junior year, maybe sophomore year, English. Oh, okay, that actually makes sense. Yeah, that's a really awesome. That you yeah, yeah, that. yeah. But it's just a great movie. It features one of my all-time favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performances, mm. who plays the uh, mentor uh, Lester, and he says one of my all-time favorite lines, which fuck, I might get this on my tombstone. The only thing that we share, the only currency that we share in this bankrupt world is is what we share with someone when we're both uncool. I'm, I'm butchering it a little bit, but it's essentially that. And like, I have never like seen myself in a protagonist more than I did with William Miller, who was played by Patrick Fugit. I felt this best reflected my inner journey. It's from 2003. So, you know, I probably saw it. Is like it that old or that new? I thought it was a bit older than that. Oh, okay. 2002, 2003, okay. I think. Uh, you know, it's around 20 years old. And Cameron so, Crowe, correct? Yeah, Cameron Crowe directed. And I, I probably saw it as like a 16-year-old the first time. Yeah. And, and you're right in that zone, right? Like you are that fucking kid at that point. Exactly. Yeah. I've never, ever more related to a central character than I did there. You know, it wasn't some chosen one. It wasn't some superhero or some badass. It was just some kid who right. was just trying to find himself and find his way in a very complicated world. And like, I think it features career best performances performances from literally every actor in there. Billy Crudup, Kate Hudson, Patrick Fugit. Like, I don't think any- Hudson's ever great there. in that. Yeah. And, and you know, she hasn't necessarily, she was nominated for an Oscar, but that never has since. And I just think that says something to, to the perfect match of writing right. and character. Right. So everything about Almost Famous rings true to me. And I think they use music in a very interesting beautiful way that connects to you like you just said it, it's more in your, it lives in your soul not necessarily in your mind right yeah yeah i'm gonna probably rewatch that this week now yeah it. fucking a and and the, and the reason that we wanted to talk about our favorite films of all time is because you know this is b and i both work in a space and i know that he's a little bit more business focused than i am but the fact is that we don't do what we do unless we love it right we would like there are higher paying better jobs out there than the ones that we currently have but i have never wanted that i've always just wanted a gig where i wake up each morning not fucking bummed out about <laughs> living my life the anti-fight club and yeah. 
and movies have given up, uh, which we talk about extensively on our Mindfuck podcast. Yes. So, so make sure to check that out. And movies have given that to me. It's given me a career. It's given me a friend like you. Uh, it's, you know, given me not to get too heady, but since it is my job, a reason to get up and work yeah. and live my life each day. So I couldn't think of a better way to sign off. Um, to movies. To movies, my friend. Real clink. I hope you guys Quick are clinking there. Rapid fires. Rapid fires, and I'm going to come up with off the dome, and then we'll go to Twitter questions, and then we'll kill it. All right, sounds good. All right, rapid fire questions for Brandon on his way out. Favorite MCU film of all time? That's, that's a great question. Oh, that's that's tough. I, I think I gotta go. I think I gotta go. Endgame or Infinity War? Oh wow, Endgame. Favorite is different than best. Favorite. Favorite. Yeah. It, might, it might be Endgame, even though Infinity War is a better movie. And then, you know, some combination of Guardians 1 and, and The Winter Soldier yeah. in the top three. So I know? have Guardians 1. Favorite Star Wars film not named The Empire Strikes Back. Rogue One. Next question. No, Rogue, Rogue <laughs> One. Again, favorite's different than best. I, growing up, Return of the Jedi was my favorite yeah, Star Wars yeah. movie because I love the scene where Luke confronts the Emperor. I think that's one of the high points. Even though you walk suck. suck. You know, that, 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 that moment, moment really, really did, did it for me. me. But yeah, yeah, you know, I love Rogue One. I love A New Hope. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, for me, y'all know that I am a Rogue One. I am like a Rogue One. I'm not even a Rogue One truther. I'm a Rogue One conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you are the Rogue One QAnon. Yes, yes. Um, favorite top the the best you can top five favorite TV shows of all time. Yeah. I can actually tell you exactly. Oh, boom! <laughs> so he, let me just bring this list he, up that I have got on the my list. my handy dandy. All right, but in no particular order, uh-huh. my top five are Lost, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, and probably Six Feet Under or Mad Men mm. with like the Sopranos and the Leftovers battling it out for like that sixth spot. The Leftovers, my man. Oh yeah, I've come uh, up on it. So I've got Breaking Bad, Sopranos, The Leftovers, Game of Thrones, which again, I think I think time will be kind to that show. I think that like I was, I compare it to judging Jordan's playing career based on his years on the fucking Wizards. Like, all right, yeah, it was a disaster at the end, but the, his run at his peak was... I mean, he still averaged 20 points yeah. with the Wizards. <laughs> right, back. exactly. Yeah. Um, Game of Thrones, lost. And then this final one is a curveball. Maniac. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? I, lo- I love that. Got a romantic sci-fi, baby. It doesn't um, get more romantic sci-fi than that. Exactly. Uh, favorite actor. Of all time? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll say favorite movie star, Will Smith. Favorite actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Leo. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. R.I.P. Oh, did you see... Uh, I still haven't seen like Rich Pizza. Pizza? No, no. I've, heard, I've heard good things. Yeah. Now I haven't seen it. Favorite director? Yeah. That's... All right, now you're... Oh. I think, I mean, I think for me, it's probably Quentin. I, I was honestly leaning Tarantino. I, I think it's... it's Fuck, it's, it's... Basic white boy ass. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> We're such, such, such film bros. It's like t- Tarantino, like Fincher, like... Oh, God. that That's tough, but it's in that realm. Fincher's a good... um Good, good choice. What 2022 film are you most hyped for? I need a list in front of me. Like off the top of my head, it's hard to yeah. say the Batman. Right. My I'm man. So, you know, like I'm so excited. It That's looks like it could answer. really be special. Yeah. And like we like we said in a previous pod, I can't remember which one. Like, if there's gonna be another superhero movie to notch a best picture nomination, mm. my best bet is the Batman. Another low-key one next year. Well, not low-key. 
because it'll be a huge fucking deal, but low-key in terms of it not being talked about, Damien Chazelle's Babylon. True, yes. Damien Chazelle's Brad Pitt, great. Margot yeah. Robbie, forget about it. An original concept. Golden Bullet Train even, yeah. probably going to be fucking sweet. The Gray Man. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, now final one. Do you ever see yourself personally writing a screenplay or TV spec or something like that? Probably not. I, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I would need someone who was experienced in it to pair with if right. I was ever going right. to ever do that. It's something I, I think is super interesting, something I would want to do. But I don't, I don't think I'm honestly capable of doing it on my own. <laughs> yeah. Let alone, like, I do really like what I do. Too. That's the learning curve part of it. Like, I do believe I will and I do want to. But the hardest part is, like, figuring out the how of it all. Exactly. And that, that, is, that is, for me, the... Well, let's just hop into an experienced writer's room and we'll be the newbies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So questions from Twitter from our loyal listeners. We have Jacob, the editor in chief of Discussing Film. What are your top five favorite Discussing Film tweets? Please answer with 500 plus words. I will say that his, um, him calling Donald Trump Home Alone 2 star Donald Trump has, has contracted COVID is legendary. That is truly an iconic tweet. I think because we're, we're buddies off, you know, off screen or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think Jacob told me that's his most engaged tweet ever. I I think for the Discussing Film account. So he's got a lot of good ones. Uh, You know, if you haven't already followed Discussing Film, just a a great sense of humor, a great grasp of And verify those bastards, man, all right? Uh, From Sam, at SammyRob18, is there going to be a a new co-host or is Eric piloting the ship all by himself? That's a great question. I would love to hear from what y'all want to do. I'm going to take a stab at the solo game. I mean, I don't like, I am assuming for no way home. I'll probably hit up our buddies at the Diz insider uh, for the matrix. Again, I I don't want to jump on your ass your first month (laughs) at your job. So we'll probably miss the boat on that one, but those are probably the only two movies as the year. Oh, nightmare alley is another one. Yeah. Yeah. It looks real good. So I'm going to give the solo a stab. Um, the thing with Brandon is that he is better at I am at like guiding the ship. Like while I may have built the ship, he kind of like drove it. I don't know about that. Um, but I, I want it on record that I have told Eric that he should continue with the post credit podcast because he's great. He does a lot of amazing things. Social content's amazing. So you know, if if he quits, blame him. Don't no, blame me. I'm not. I'm not quitting. <laughs> at the at, at the very right. Yeah. At the very least, it's gonna. I will continue to interview people on this show. So it may be an uh, interview you heavy feed until i find a co-host hey if you want to be my co-host email me eric at brobible.com i think that what made brandon and i work was we were friends before we were podcast co-hosts so i think that that's where the camaraderie came from and that is going to be the biggest challenge finding someone that i'm actually friends with much like tony kornheiser and michael wilbon at espn who co-host pti together they started at the washington post together and they would just argue from their offices because they were friends and they were working together about sports and that became pti when they moved to espn and so eric and i worked for a company co-ed media group in 2016 2017 we were just arguing about pop culture as our computers were next to each other no one was recording we were just bullshitting and that was like all right we should just Put a microphone on and yep. record it. Yeah, uh, us and a million white dudes. Out, yes, yes, out that's there. true. Uh, and I this... do want to let it be known: I'm wearing a polo sh- sweater <laughs> with gelled hair, while Eric is wearing a beanie. So, like, <laughs> we are the epitome of like the white stereotypes. Here. Oh man! All right, this is from D Nick XVI. Not a question. Probably my most listened to podcast. You will be missed, sir. Aww. Look, I want to have Brandon back as a guest. He's starting yes. a new gig at a fancy, fancy company, so <laughs> we're gonna give him. A little bit of time to get his feet wet, but then in the 
new year, maybe for the Batman or something. We'll I, have. I would be honored to return. We'll sir. roll out the red carpet for you. Let's let's see if I'm even good enough to return. This to is from uh, Devin Ramey, who I believe is your friend. So Devin Ramey is a coworker of my brother's. Oh, okay. He's a good man. Okay. Favorite m- moments? How could you? Best guest? How dare you? <laughs> best best draft? Fine, just go. Most anticipated <laughs> upcoming film? Why? Will you come back as a guest? I take it back. Don't go. Will the pod continue? Let's work <laughs> from the back here. Will the pod continue? Absolutely. Um, I am not shutting this down by any means. I am Postgrad Pod to me is more than a podcast as well. It's the writing on brobible.com. It's the meme content. It's oh, yeah. all that shit. It is the interviews that I do with actors and directors. And while I know for a lot of you, the banter between Brandon and I was probably what kept you coming back. There is a lot more to Postgrad Pod than just that. Yeah, you guys come here because it's a great mainstream, you know, a blockbuster commercial TV and movie breakdown and analysis for nerds. And Eric does that better than anyone in this space. So please keep listening. Uh, will he come back as a guest? Yes, we certainly hope yes. so. Uh, most anticipated upcoming film of this year, I would say even more so than No Way Home and Matrix Four, Nightmare Alley is our fucking jam. We were just we were just talking about how they don't make original concepts with big stars. There you fucking go. (laughs) Um, And I guess next year, obviously for me, is the Batman B for you. I mean, I need a list in front of me because I just can't think of them. But you know, the Batman's it's if it's not one, it's two. Yeah, best draft. That's an interesting question, best draft. I think I enjoyed the mindfuck draft the most because it was unique. Like you hear a lot of best superhero drafts, which we did, of course. But I think like. Mind fuck movie is a unique niche that we really tapped into. I also I, like I, that we were building it together. We actually weren't opposition. Right. That and, but I also enjoyed the one time when uh, you versed off against Skylar in a Star Wars draft. And I just kind of observed. <laughs> that was really enjoyable as well. That was a fun one. As, as I've now said on this pod a million times, you know, Star Wars is my baby. So that was a good time. Best interview guest. Well, this is confusing because Don Cheadle, we had a joke, B and I, that Donnie chose us. Hashtag baby. Because he sort of like unprovoked, like dropped. He was like, I'm going to be in Falcon and Soldier. He had never said that before. Postgrad Pod broke that story. And it was because I think he was he was comfortable and having fun with us in our in our interview. So, um, of course, i got to give a shout out to Zack Snyder. It was great to interview him twice, even though I don't think he remembered me. I think if I get him a third time, he definitely will. Um, Show him the Batman tattoo for the first time. I, yeah, right. I actually really enjoyed it. And- was not involved in this one i actually really enjoyed talking to mark strong yeah uh he's someone i really respect just every time i see him in a role he's kind of one of those guys where you're like oh he's in this fuck yeah, yeah. and he just seemed to really vibe with my vibe uh, do you have a favorite you know what i think one of our, our most fun was jake johnson ah, he's just oh, like the first one yeah. he's a good dude like smart and funny it was it was a great mix of Plus, just the 30 minutes are key yeah exactly so that that was a really good time and uh you know eric's put some great guests on the show jake johnson and then favorite moments uh that's tough i mean i will say when skyler drafted return of the jedi number one Overall, I fucking lost my shit. (laughs) I mean, I absolutely lost it. But favorite moments for me, honestly, were I really looked forward to doing this each week. I enjoyed because not only are we breaking it down for you guys, but we're having a conversation amongst ourselves. Like I used to posit that 
South Park is more enjoyed when talking about it with your friends at lunch than it is actually watching it. That's a great theory. That's and, a great theory. You should write that one too. You've had like a couple article <laughs> ideas within this box. And I think that, that, that a, a lot of that was in play here with me. This is also from Sam. Sam at Sammy Rob 18. Just wanted to say I loved every episode you guys have uh-huh. done together and wish Brandon good luck on his next adventure. Thanks. Hashtag this is the way. Much appreciated. That's very nice, you guys. This is from our friend Skylar Schuler. Favorite banter disagreement you have? Yeah. I don't know if we never ever necessarily disagreed to that extent. I still think I should have won the superhero movie draft. Oh, that was a fucking blowout. <laughs> I think I chose the most interesting roster, but there is no doubt about it that Eric is probably a cleverer individual than I am. Joe, he has I, good strategy. Yeah, I think I'm a better drafter, probably. <laughs> we'll uh, maybe when you come back, we'll draft our drafts. All right, there we go. This is from Kyle Van Derza, the real KVD. What's the best fan experience you've ever had? More importantly, thank you, Greg Caspi. Discovered this pod randomly one day. The Marvel theories got my interest, but the banter got me hooked. Best of luck going forward. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, Best fan experience? I mean, we aren't really at that level yet. I've never run into somebody and been like, oh. Oh, You know, I thought you meant us as fans of something else. Oh. Yeah, no one's ever. I mean, listen, I have friends who who listen consistently, and then, like, I've obviously had people like like yourself who, who on twitter have been like hey like love the pot i really appreciate that i i thought he meant like us being the fans that's a good question uh i would say fan experience is just kind of when i got to interview matt damon this summer i was Great interview. i was fucking gassed i was <laughs> i had to i had to smoke quite a bit of weed beforehand to, <laughs> to, to calm the old nerves but uh that was i think i think the best experience is for me, and I have com- and I've told this to some of the stars that I've talked to, is I compare the interviews that we do to athletes in the championship game. Who just scored? Godwin. Okay, not Mike Evans. Um, I compare interviewing talent to like the NBA Finals, right? Like this is why you do it. So for me, as a fan, when I get to talk to people whose work I admire, that's the peak for me. I can't argue with that. I think that's a perfect explanation um, for me as a fan. I mean, the rock buying me two bottles of tequila, obviously there is no other answer, you know, like that is fantastic. Yeah. Then I Red notice a, though. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, you know, it was red notice. Go ahead. Uh, but he bought, bought you the bottles. And- yeah. I, I mean, I just, I brought one of them to like a party. Uh, with a bunch of friends and like I told everyone this is the rock tequila and like I was the man for the night did he send you his tequila no so this was, was before he had launched his own line so what was it wasn't so it was like Don Hula, Hula oh, 1942 oh, and uh, Don Hula another expensive bottle that I and what remember. was the bet uh, this was like you know uh, several years ago but I had pointed out the consistency of box office uh, success that his movies had reached and I added him in the tweet, not thinking anything of it. And he like within a minute responded like, wow, didn't know that. Well, if it hits these benchmarks again, I'll buy you some tequila. And and I donated to a charity in his name an equivalent amount every time he would do that. So power of the blue check, folks. I, I guess so. I mean, that was that was a and intelligent industry insights. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think you, you're giving it more strategic value than I intended at the time. <laughs> and then that is it for the questions. We just have a couple more gifts. I ha- uh, One of this is from Kevin Jr. He says, don't go great cats. And it's the gift of Mindy Kaling from oh. the offense. I have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? <laughs> I, I am so sorry. But, but Brandon's trying to chase that bag, man. Don't he, hate. It's just, uh, you know, the, the natural progression. Of and the then we have another, another office, office gift. gift. 
Michael Scott saying, don't you dare. So Brandon, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that the listeners are sad to see you go as am I, my friend. I am sad to go. I, I did try to ask if you know I could maintain the, my existing podcast. Unfortunately, it was a no go, but they want that exclusive BK <laughs> content, baby. <laughs> But it's been an honor and a pleasure. This was the first podcast I ever, you know, launched. The first podcast that was ever on or anything. So it has truly been an honor and a pleasure, my friend. Thank, Thank you for all, all the hard work you put in. Really have a heart and soul. Thank you, brother. Hell of a time. All right, y'all. So that is going to do it for me. Uh, I will catch up with y'all. Hawkeye premieres next week, so I'll try to wrap my head around what we're going to do there. Maybe I'll call on a favor from the boys at Diz Insider. If you're hearing this, text me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other than that, I will talk to you guys in, in a couple of weeks. And B, if you want to sign off, go ahead. Thank you guys for everything. Appreciate the listens and the follows and the engagement and the reviews. It, it's really, truly been a pleasure. And uh, we wouldn't be doing this if, if you guys didn't enjoy it. And from our experience, you guys enjoyed it pretty much, which is uh, will always be a great honor yeah. in my life. So thank you. It's been a blast, brother. And now we are going to get drunk. Yes, yes, we are. Talk to you later. See ya. Peace. I'm going to make him an office guy. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs>